and welcome to the second episode of the Blood Sucking Geeks podcast. I'm Chris, one of the co-hosts of the Blood Sucking Geeks podcast, and joining me this week are the rest of the BSGs. We've got Corey, Cody, and Robert. How's it going, guys? Delightful. Turnus. What's up, man? <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. So it's been a little bit since uh, we recorded our last episode. Uh, and this week, we have watched Sleepaway Camp. Super excited to do this one. Uh, this one holds a lot of uh, a lot of good memories for <laughs> us, would you say, Corey? Yeah. No, uh, yeah, some very uh, significant developments in uh, our youth and uh, learning about the birds and bees, I would say. I would say we probably learned more about the human anatomy like in this <laughs> one movie than we did in all the years of like uh, health classes in middle and high school, I'd say. Oh, yeah. I mean, I got kicked out of uh, our health class during the miracle birth video because I made, I guess, too many jokes. And I considered it a win because I didn't need to see, you know that so (laughs) (laughs) i got kicked out of health class often because i was a 14 year old boy guess what i don't know if we discussed this in the last episode or maybe it was the first episode that you and i did uh cory kind of our test episode yeah on phantasm but um so the story with this movie goes that uh i think you we probably got it we either rented it or got it from suncoast and Corey, I don't know if anyone else was there, if it was just us two watching it, but um, without spoiling the end of the movie uh, right up front, <laughs> um, the end is rather a shocking turn of events. Well, I would um, say it's legendary. Yeah, and you know what, though? Like, the movie doesn't really do a lot to, to like hide hide it. You know, it's, it's, it's fairly um, easy to – it's predictable. You know, like, it leads to all the events, and I, I think it's not a – surprising ending but it, the way that they do the reveal is very shocking to say the least i don't um, know i mean like uh the first time i had seen it in many many years was during the original joe bob marathon in 2018 yeah and uh to be honest i had totally forgotten about the movie and um i don't know i think looking back on it after seeing it it is pretty obvious but i'm not sure how obvious it is if you have no clue what's mm. happening um especially just the twist i mean you might be able to pick out who the killer is pretty easily but the twist i'm not sure how telegraph it is looking back at it though once you know it it's fucking blatantly obvious yeah i watched it with my wife uh it was the first time uh, with her seeing it and she predicted it like midway through <laughs> i was like god damn it <laughs> um but going back to our first uh viewing of it like the for the reveal at the end, like I'll always remember it for like the weird, the, the squeal that you made. It was just like, it was almost like non-human, like almost like a, like something you'd hear from like a, a raccoon or just something that's slowly being tortured to death. Well, um, he's like, <laughs> like it was just the weirdest. Thing. I, I died laughing. And to this day, whenever I think of sleepaway camp, I always think of that moment uh, when Corey saw. I imagine the sound I made could easily be put into the movie over uh, <laughs> the face and it would match pretty, pretty great. Oh, it would have been, it would have been perfect. Um, so we're changing things up a little bit with uh, the formatting of the way we're doing the podcast. So uh, one thing that we, we, we did with the first episode uh, and after listening to it, we, we thought we'd tweak a little bit. We don't want to just do solely a beat for beat 
uh, retelling of, of the, the podcast. We are going to do like a more stripped down version of that later on in the show, but instead we're going to have several different uh, like segments uh, to break up the show. Uh, so we'll talk about like what horror movies that we've been watching lately, and each of us will be able to share some stories about uh, you know what they've been watching in, in notable movies. Uh, then we'll do uh, some of the the background on the actual movie of the week. Uh, like we said, we're doing Sleepaway Camp uh, this week. Um, then we'll also break it down into like what our favorite kills were. We're also going to tell you some true stories from Crowley, and this one, <laughs> wow, it's a doozy. We're starting with the origins of Crowley. Um, but uh, it's all 100% factually true. Uh, we've It's all peer-reviewed. We've done uh, lots of research. Uh, Corey actually went to the Crowley uh, yes. Public Library. Um, Even and, during and, this and time of uh, a global pandemic, I risked uh, life and limb to get to the bottom of the truth because these questions need to be answered. It's been swept under the rug for far too long. And even though some of us are still, uh, we don't live there anymore. I know Robert does. And... This is going around, this is happening around you as we speak. So I think people need to know this before um, we go any further and uh, know the kind of environment that we were reared in, us innocent young babes, how we were brought up <laughs> among such depravity. I'm just kind of worried for Robert's safety after this truth is uncovered. He might know too to much. Public. You might want to get out, get, get the hell out of Dodge, <laughs> Robert. I've I've recently found my grandpa's shotgun in the garage, so I have protection for me and my family. Locked now, and loaded. So, uh, <laughs> yeah, I'm ready. And then finally, uh, we'll give our our ratings for for the movie um, overall. And so uh, so yeah, I think we're you'll you'll see some some more changes. I think as we continue along until we finally find our real groove. Um, but hopefully, each episode gets better from uh, episode to episode and. We're really excited about this. We're really looking forward to it. Uh, so with that said, let's jump into what we've been watching lately. Uh, Cody, you want to uh, roll us into that? <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> okay, man. Yeah, this week, the closest thing the closest thing I, I watched that's even close enough to a, to a horror would be the 2020 action thriller flick called The Hunt. I don't know if you guys are familiar with this movie. Oh, I've, I've heard of but, it. I okay. haven't seen it yet. Dude, it got a bad rap, and everyone was wrong about it. I'm here to tell you. Okay, so it was written by Damon Lindelof and Nick Hughes. If you guys are familiar with Lindelof, you know he's done some yeah, great shit, like what guy that did Lost, Lost all kinds of stuff. And 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 so uh, yeah, this movie is about these like elites that have been accused of doing some crazy shit, hunting down people that are, are basically like right wing Republican style, like you know, uh, like people that think differently than p politically. So the movie got this bad rap. It literally got like banned for a minute and was like not allowed to come out, had to have some recuts, whatever. But I'm here to tell you, it's like a modern day fucking Rambo. And the chick that plays <laughs> Liberty Bell in Glow, she's a wrestler. She's, uh, her name is Betty Gilpin. Dude, I'm telling you, she's a star. She's a shit. But uh, the hunt is fantastic. You guys, I'm telling you, like the kills are great. Uh, everyone got it wrong. Like, if you go into this movie like thinking you're gonna like, oh, this is gonna be biased. Like, it proves itself. Like, it proves that America like judged it, prejudged it too quickly, and before they could even like see the thing. And I really so that just came out this year. Then yeah, yeah, it just and, and it because it, it got delayed last year and then just came out. So it was like one of those straight to um, 
straight to release theater movies that were supposed Streaming. to come out during the shutdown, but they were like, nah. And it was 20 bucks for like two months. And I was like, hell no. So then when it got down to five ninety nine, I was like, I can do that. I can, I can, I think we can, we can, we can live that. But there's part of, parts of it that remind me of like Rambo and shit and the way they're, the way, the way they're surviving. I'm like, it doesn't make me want them to survive any less because of how they think and stuff. It, it's really cool. Yeah. I think you guys would enjoy it. Yeah, it sounds like lots of those, uh, like you know, uh, most dangerous game fucking stories, like absolutely uh, surviving absolutely. the game with iced tea or Ooh, yeah, hard classic. target with Van Dam. What's uh, the one with um fucking uh, the, was it the pest? The one with, with John Leguizamo. That's my personal favorite. Hunt the human movies. <laughs> oh man, um, Robert, what have you been watching? Um, actually, uh, this week, um, I watched Hellraiser and Hellraiser two this week, um, just revisiting. It's been a while since I've seen them. I mean, I have them on DVD or whatever, but I have them on, uh, I guess European format. So like I, years ago, there was a cool box set that came out in Europe and I bought it because I'm a nerd. So, (laughs) or a geek. So, but, um, yeah, those are, those are both streaming on shutter. So like the wife had never seen them. So we popped them on, you know, it's obviously Clive Barker stuff. The guy's a, a legend in horror with, for writing short stories and this, you know, and obviously for Hellraiser and stuff. But I mean, the, the, like, I, I didn't realize, I guess, like it'd been a while since I'd seen them and I'm not the, the biggest Hellraiser fan, but like Pinhead and like, you know, his boys or whatever and girl, like Cenobites, whatever they're called. They're like they're in the movie like literally like for like yeah. ten minutes. That's it. Like they come and go so much. Like well, not so much, but like in little increments, and then you get them a little bit at the end. The first movie is definitely you know, a slow burn. Like it, it takes a while yeah, to get there. Oh, for um, sure. But it's creepy as hell. Like I we I watched rewatched that oh, with uh, my wife about a year or so ago, and um, we both really liked it. Uh, she she really enjoyed yeah. it. It was, it was really crazy. It, well, I well the, the I mean the second one. Sorry, no, go ahead, Corey. Uh, the thing, as gross as that movie is and some of the gore, the thing that gets me most is when you're moving the couch up the stairs and he catches the webbing of oh, his the hand nail. on the nail. Oh. Oh. oh, You see, everyone had the same fucking reaction. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> half the movie, a guy has yeah. no skin, and we're like, yeah, that's pretty badass, but that nail in the hand, <laughs> oh, Jesus Christ. That's like the most like, yeah. like gory part. It's real. No, that's like it's that could happen to you. And then the guy's like such a pussy, but he's like, I'm gonna pass out. You know, he's like freaking out. The, that would be like freaking reaction, out the, though. Like, take me to the hospital. Oh, oh god. Yeah, I would. Yeah, that was. Um, yeah, that that scene literally. I'm glad you brought that up because that was the one thing I was like, oh, you know, like and, and like and like you said, like you know, half the movie this dude has nothing on. You know, it's just flesh. You know, it's. But yeah, in the the um, the the second one, like I had not seen the second one since I was a, a child, and like <laughs> so, I really, I really didn't. Re- yeah. yeah, since I was six years old. I, <laughs> yeah. Um, I really didn't remember it at all, and like it is fucking wild at the end. Like we like and like I had a you know I, like I posted on Facebook that I was watching it. And you know, I had some you know horror friends that comment on it. They're like, "This is the best sequel like in horror history and shit like that." Wow, and like, 
all this stuff. And I was like, oh, okay. You know, and I hadn't seen it in a while. So going into it and then like the last half hour, I was like, what the fuck is going on? <laughs> like there's, just, there's so much going on. Just like, and then like pinhead becomes like, I guess like r- regular looking like Doug Bradley at the end. That's kind of like, see, I didn't remember any of that. Like of, of, you know, pinhead just being like a normal looking dude or whatever. And it just kind of like, I don't know. It was weird. It's the the movies are very very weird, but I mean they're I mean they're they're classics for sure. Well, yeah, so. and if you have a uh, Shutter, uh, Joe Bob did the original one on the uh, his first drive-in marathon, and then he closed out season two with a uh, Hellraiser two with Doug Bradley mm-hmm. uh, as a guest uh, host. So you might want to check that out if you have. Oh, nice. Yet. Yeah, we were going to continue with uh, three and four or whatever, but they weren't streaming so we stopped <laughs> fair enough um awesome uh cory what about you oh dear god i've watched so <laughs> what much you been terrible watching? crap uh where to begin um let's see i the last one i watched uh just kind of to do a double feature with sleep away camp i watched a movie called the burning from 1981 and it's kind of uh just another you know summer camp killer on the loose this one um like the caretaker uh some of the campers are playing a prank on him it goes south he gets horribly burned disfigured in the hospital for like five years uh just totally he's all fucked up now so he wants to get revenge even though the doctors are like don't blame the kids uh which is very strange to me but uh since the kids literally are the ones that set him on fucking fire i would blame them and them alone <laughs> they would be the first people like, i blame they are you know technically legally culpable for this but anyways <laughs> so this dude uh he wants to get his revenge and his weapon of choice is a giant pair of fucking garden shears and uh so i mean it's your pretty standard thing uh some of the weird things about it though uh it's a Miramax movie, so Harvey Weinstein produced it. He actually wrote the story that it was based on. Uh, it's from 1981, so it's before they really hit it big. But just knowing what we know now about Weinstein, it just anytime it shows like you know, kind of a teenage girl in a bikini and trying to sexualize uh, her, it's like ooh. Harvey Weinstein like his probably real character like, coming through. Yeah, it's like he probably did some molest on her, but <laughs> some molest. I don't know, but uh, yeah, it's some. Decent gore, um, nothing really special in the way of the story. It does have Jason Alexander in it in one of his first roles with a full head of hair, but he's basically no playing George Costanza because I'm, I'm a Seinfeld <laughs> fan, and they always talk about how him and Jerry went to summer camp, and this is based in you know like upstate New York and all this business. So I can almost see this actually being George Costanza at summer camp because he's playing that same character, just kind of a smart ass. And everything is, I just kept waiting for Jerry Seinfeld to show up, a young Jerry Seinfeld. But uh, Holly Hunter's in it as well, in a small role. But uh, yeah, lots of good gore. Uh, it's a fun movie, and it's on Shutter now, so uh, I would recommend it. Very cool. Uh, the wife and I, we were, uh, the other night, we were just uh, going through Shutter, trying to find something to watch. We couldn't really agree on one and we found this one called Lyle and it looked interesting. I never heard of it before. It just came out uh, this past year. Um, It stars uh, Gabby Hoffman, who her first role was in, uh, she was a little girl in uncle buck. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Her name was Maisie Russell. (laughs) And has anyone seen this movie yet? Lyle? No, no, I haven't. Uh, You have. 
No. Oh, okay. Um, actually, it was released in 2014. Um, sorry. Uh, but it's basically about this like lesbian couple in New York City. They've recently moved to a new apartment. Uh, they have a daughter named Lyle. Uh, and uh, Leah, who is uh, um, Gabby Hoffman, that's her character, is Leah. Uh, she's, she's pregnant with another baby. And uh, her uh, partner or wife... Uh, her name's June. She she th- works for some sort of like record company. She's some she or um, as a manager or something in the music industry. I, I I they didn't really explain it or maybe I missed it. But anyway, uh, one day uh, June is off at work and uh, Leah is is basically unpacking the house, getting it all ready and stuff. And uh, she's like skyping with her friend. And uh, there's been all these like weird kind of occurrences happening uh, with her neighbors and stuff. She has some kind of weird this this one creepy old lady um, who keeps acting like she's pregnant. She's like obsessed with getting pregnant or something. It's really weird. Um, so anyway, um, uh, Lyle is like running around the house playing and stuff. And then all of a sudden, um, she you can see her in the background like doing stuff. And then she runs off screen. And uh, then Leah is like goes and starts looking for her. Um, and eventually she goes to one of the windows. You just hear like a blood curdling scream. And so apparently uh, Lyle like fell out of a window and she died. And from that point on the rest of the movie, like Leah <clears throat> falls into this like crazed paranoia where she believes that the rest of the tenants in the apartment are part of this occult, like satanic group that have to take her babies and sacrifice them Uh in this ritual so that they can then become like successful. It's weird. And it's one of those movies where it kind of leaves the, the ending open to interpretation. Like maybe she was crazy all along, or maybe everything that she thought was real is one of those types. Um, and I, I thought it was actually pretty cool. Um, it didn't have a lot of gore or anything like that in it. In fact, I, I don't know apart from maybe Lyle, which they didn't even show, which would have been pretty messed up, but uh, I don't think there was really any actual death in the movie. It's just a lot of suspense and and that sort of thing. But it was actually a pretty decent movie. I'd probably give it like a three out of five uh, stars. No, that's not uh, bad. It's not. No, it's not bad. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it was it was just interesting. So I didn't even know like um, Gabby Hoffman. I, I I remember like looking at her. I'm like, man, she looks so familiar. I couldn't remember where I saw her from. Um, but I think it was. You know, Uncle Buck. She's a little girl. That <laughs> she was adorable back in the day. Um, so uh, yeah, I would, I would suggest if if you're in the mood for something that's kind of more on the suspenseful side, and there's not a lot of blood and gore in it, maybe you know something to watch with the with the wife or something like that. Uh, Lyle might be a good one uh, to check out. Alrighty. So let's move uh, into the next bit. The movie of the week, like we said at the top of the show, is Sleepaway Camp. Um. So basically the synopsis of this is after a horrible boating accident kills her family, shy, sullen Angela moves in with her eccentric aunt Martha, who, wow, she is <laughs> fucking crazy. A piece like, of work. Oh, yeah, she is. Um, we probably all have like a, you know, aunt, aunt Martha in our family, just the crazy lady that no one likes to go over their house or anytime you do, like your parents find a way to leave real quickly. Uh, those <laughs> family reunions. <laughs> um, and then uh, she also has a uh, a cousin named Ricky, who's basically in the movie throughout the throughout the whole thing, basically. Uh, so one summer, Martha sends uh, both Ricky and um, Angela to Camp Arawak. It's a summer camp, sleepaway camp, hence the name. Uh, and soon after their arrival, uh, bizarre, increasingly violent accidents claim the lives of various campers. 
Who is the twisted individual behind these murders? The disclosure of the murderer's identity is one of the most shocking climaxes in the history of American cinema. That was ripped and taken almost verbatim directly from IMDb. <laughs> so got to give credit where it's due. Um, it was released uh, on November 18th of 1983. Man, I wasn't even, I guess I wasn't even two years old yet when this movie came out. Yeah. Um, I definitely didn't catch it in theaters. <laughs> yeah, let's say no. Robert probably did. <laughs> they probably took you to go see it, Robert. I'd imagine. Probably like one and a half here. Yeah, maybe. Yeah, I was. I'm 82, yeah. so so yeah. Robert uh, saw this one in theaters uh, at the the Crowley Cinema. Um, <laughs> the runtime Hollywood theater. Right. Uh, it had a runtime of 84 minutes. Its budget was 350 thousand, uh, and it went on to gross 11 million at the box office. That's a pretty so, big success. Um, there's yeah, a lot I mean, of there's yeah. so much that's impressive about that when it comes to the movie they made and what they got out of it. Seriously, mm-hmm. um, it was directed uh, by Robert Hiltzik. Uh, and I, I found some interesting uh, information about uh, Mr. Hiltzik as well. Um, apparently, he didn't know the film had gained like such a following um, after it had been made until he was contacted uh, in March of 2000 by there was a sleepawaycampmovies.com editor uh, who wanted to arrange uh, for him to record basically a commentary track uh, for the Anchor Bay uh, DVD release. Uh, and then after a number of sequels directed and written by other people, Hiltzik actually came back and wrote and directed a, a 2004 sequel. Uh, it was called Return to Sleepaway Camp. Indeed. Um, and so this one, I guess it ignored the storylines from the pre from the other sequels. And it basically picked up like right where the first one ended. I've personally never watched this one, but I, I definitely want to go back and, and watch this one uh, right after, uh, you know, watching the original one. Cause it's it kind of stays true to Hiltzik's vision, I guess. Um, and then uh, those are the only two movies he's ever done. Yeah, he, so went, he just did. He went to become a lawyer in New York. That's what he does now for like his day to day job. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, quite a uh, quite the kind of wild uh, career Mister Heltzik has had, to say the least. Uh, the notable cast uh, we have uh, Miss Felicia Rose as Angela Baker, uh, <laughs> Jonathan Tiersten as uh, Ricky. Uh, Karen Fields is Judy, who's that stuck-up bitch that is is a complete asshole. But apparently, <laughs> she was uh, she was awesome in real life, according to Felicia Rose. Like yeah. she was very sweet. Um, she was also thirty-eight years old. <laughs> I'm not joking. She was born in 1945. What? I thought they said she was That's eighteen. What it says on oh my god! I thought she was eighteen. That's what it says on her IMDb. Man, she looked great for forty-five of this. <laughs> um, no, she was born in 45, so she would have been in her 30s. Oh, okay, That's what bad. it said. I don't do math. Um, and then we have <laughs> um, several others. Christopher Collette as Paul, Mike Kellen as Mel Caustic, Catherine Cammy as Meg. But I do want to throw out, he didn't have a big role in this, was Ben, played by Robert Earl Jones, yeah. who I don't know if you guys know, is James Earl Jones' father. Yep. And... I looked up some like his his stuff. Like the dude was a sparring partner for Joe Lewis in 1937. <laughs> Listen to this. Like there's some he's done some shit, man. It was awesome. He dropped out of school in third grade to work as a sharecropper, and also worked on the railroad until the depression caused him to lose his job. He was blacklisted in the early 50s and called before the House of Un-American Activities Committee because of his involvement in the leftist movement of the late 30s. Um. He then was honored with a Lifetime Achievement Award 
from the National Black Theater Festival. Uh, he was twice divorced. And uh, father-in-law of Cecilia Hart. Don't know who that is, but... Um, anyway, like, uh, that's quite... Uh, man, he, he had quite a career. He passed away, unfortunately, in September of 2006 uh, in New Jersey. Um, and uh, that was pretty neat. I, 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 I didn't... I could tell he looked familiar, but I didn't realize that watching it, he was actually... Um, James Earl Jones' dad. Yeah, I mean, he even has kind of that deep, booming voice like James Earl Jones has. But yeah, the first time I watched it, uh, I didn't notice. I didn't even really pay attention to his name. And then uh, doing the research for this, I stumbled across that. And yeah, that's pretty neat. He also has quite the um, the calming uh, reaction to... Uh, <laughs> Hanging out with pedophiles, so yeah, just, especially when he when he gets promoted, he's like, "I always thought that guy had the devil in him." Like, what the shit? Like, so you weren't going to say anything until he died? <laughs> That's just how you, uh, I guess, did things back back in the day. You know, you you, you don't talk, brushed maybe. it off. Yeah, I mean, yeah. hey, it's the early eighties. You got, uh, as he describes it, all this young, fresh young chicken running around. So, um, baldies. Oh. oh. God, what he said. Yeah, he did. I shit you not. I shit you not. Before we go there, when I used to work at Winn Dixie, there was an old boxer that worked in the meat market that said something very (laughs) similar to what the chef said. He he said something about if there's uh, grass in the field, you can play ball or something. And me and like a few other peers were like, Oh, that's fucking creepy. Do you not remember that Um, punch drunk guy that was like in the meat market? I swear he used to punch the actual slabs of meat. Like that was like his thing (laughs) at Winn-Dixie, bro. That's a whole episode of itself itself, though. Well, another, uh, speaking of just like random, uh, backstories on some of these people, uh, I'm not sure if y'all saw this, but Mike Kellen, the guy that played the, uh, old crusty camp owner, Mel, I was just going through his Wikipedia page, just seeing if there's anything of interest. And the only thing that I found that I thought was pretty fucking random, and I didn't know anything about this, was back in the 40s, his sister was killed in something called the Hartford Circus Fire. And there's this whole fucking article on Wikipedia about um, this fire that occurred during an afternoon performance of the Ringling Brothers and Barlow and Bailey Circus. And like over 167 people were killed, 700 people were injured. And, uh, I've just had never heard of it, but it sounds like something really crazy. I'm surprised there has been anything like uh, no movies about it or anything, because it seems like it would have lots of potential. But yeah, the Hartford Circus Fire, something you might want to check out and do a little research on. Sounds like a bunch of carnies. Um, (laughs) I guess one thing we should, one last person before we move on is uh, Paul D'Angelo, who played Ronnie. Yep. I'm pretty sure is like Paul Roma's cousin from back (laughs) in the day, WCW days. Like he's just, he's super jacked, wears the shortest shorts in the entire movie, and he's got great hair. Fantastic hair. Dude, his pecs, though. I'm seriously, I'm like, what is his workout routine? Just push-ups all day, it's bro. It's just push-ups and roids straight to the pecs. Yeah. Like, it, he has – he's and more – he has uh, the largest breast of the entire film or the largest pectoral <laughs> uh, area of the entire oh, film. Oh, for sure. Try like, the only it. one that comes close is Judy. And, yeah. you know, like, hers aren't, aren't anywhere big, near that big. I mean, he's got – at least he's worked with, like, at least a C cup. 
it, uh, Ronnie. I think Paul movie. is talking about Ronnie, but he thought he was she was Judy when he was when he's first going to the camp. <laughs> <laughs> he saw it from a distance. Is like, holy shit, oh, Judy's hot man. now <laughs> because Dude, he kind of has the same hair too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Their shorts are pretty much the same length. Oh man, that's hilarious. Um, okay, let's get on to the next segment. Uh, before we jump into the movie recap, what we're first going to do up front is let's talk about our favorite kills. Cody, you lead us into this one, bud. Oh man! So every movie has its has its ups and downs, its ins and outs. But this film, it's just like the kills are so sporadic. It's like jazz. And it's like they're just kind of making it up as they go along. I love it. Like, but so I'm going to kind of drop it down because there's you know decapitations, there's arrows to the neck, there's spinal column like slicing and dicing through a bathroom. By the way, a bathroom yeah. stall, which is I think that's pretty damn difficult. But uh, but it's like the most disturbing part is that you know it's all from a first person perspective. All those kills, so you got you kind of like are experiencing it in a real weird way. So my my favorite particular kill is you beat the shit out of my brother i shoot an arrow through your adam's apple and you instantly die like that's that was my favorite kill that was a good kill i got a question on that one just the way it's filmed so you see mel run onto the archery range and he sees someone holding an arrow he's like no it's you it can't be you and then the next thing you see is the arrow go through his throat are we to believe that the killer threw the fucking arrow through his throat because I ain't seeing any bow. The person's just sitting there holding a goddamn like arrow. Like a spear? Like a small yeah. spear? Yeah, just like a giant fucking dart that just goes straight through his fucking windpipe. I love it. It, it looks I, real as hell, especially for the time and the budget. I'm like, oh, man. Okay. Yeah. That was a good kill. But my, yeah, that, that, my favorite... Uh, but my favorite death-ish thing is when the they turn over the kid in the canoe and the snake comes out of his mouth. <laughs> Bro, that yeah. shot, like, that shot is that dude's IMDb cover page, by the way. Like, because he knows that he'll never do a better, like, thing. Like, that's like... If I were him, that would be my Facebook profile <laughs> yes, photo, everything. Yes, like, I'd... absolutely. But, uh, yeah, I mean, I would, I would say that there's, like, it's very low on the blood situation and they're very big on the like subjective like oh it's you know we're gonna hide it because i mean like especially and in the also beginning. on the male nudity they're really big oh man <laughs> lots of like and it's even suggestive it's like guys wearing like crop shirts and like short shorts and uh brief underwear it's like mesh uh we got t-shirts. like ass shots like there's just a lot going on well, here i think that, there was um, a statement that i read that about this that's like this movie is perceived as like oh there's this homosexual menace that's like sort of the the bad guy or the, the terror in this movie but then it has all these things that sort of revert that or refute that sort of claim by what the wardrobe is and how the boys are the ones we see the most of you know like it's yeah, it's 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 very interesting in the way that that was. You're saying it's a very progressive yeah. uh, horror film Dude. in that they there's no female nudity. There's not really. I mean, there is some like uh, female like uh, uh, I guess the guys are you know like like womanizing. Yeah, I there's guess. a lot of yeah, absolutely that. But they're the ones that are usually like getting the, the shit kicked out of them, and 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 <laughs> I guess a lot of the nudity is focused on the guys. Um, Dude, I think a remake of this in the now with the right with the right heads writing it could really like make a a nice like uh, like empowered empowering movie out of this. <laughs> yeah, there's definitely lots of potential for like social commentary in a flick like this, and mm-hmm. uh, 
It's addressed kind of clumsily, I think. But I mean, it's 1983, and uh, I don't think that was their objective in the first. Place. I know, right? That's the that's the wild thing is seeing it now. You're like, oh man, that did not age well for so many reasons. <laughs> you know, like like I actually Most was kind of worried. The pedophilia, yeah, dude. Besides the pedophilia and like the trans regression type of stuff, there's like you know, it's there's a lot of like like you know, hot water there we could get into. And I, when I when I thought about doing this episode, I was like, holy shit! I was like, man, that is. Something I want to address, but I don't. I don't know how to speak on it like more intelligibly. But uh, but yeah, like this. But this film, it's so funny in the it in the hereafter. You're you're watching it and you're like, oh man. But if I'd seen that when I was a kid, which I didn't, because this is my first viewing, I definitely would have been like, what? Like what? <laughs> and I think this movie became a point of like uh, a rite of passage that you showed other kids during the summer. You're like, yeah. have you seen Sleepaway Camp? No. Oh man, let's watch it. Cause you're like waiting to see their reaction to the, the, the end, yep. you know? And it's like the crying game, but a horror, but not, you know, like I think like some of the best horror movies though, like you said, it is kind of like a rite of passage that once you discover it or once you're exposed to it, you have this like urge to, you know, share it with someone else. And I think that's what makes these movies so cool is, um, like I remember when uh, we got blood sucking freaks on VHS and the first time we watched it, it's just like, holy fucking shit. What the hell <laughs> just went through my eyeballs. And then as soon as it's over, it's like, well, I have to ruin someone else's life. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> I know what my point in this world is. Yeah. <laughs> well, I'm glad I feel, I feel kind of lucky that th- th- that didn't happen to me. Like it's so, no one <laughs> exposed me to the sleepaway camp rite of passage. I'm surprised, like we didn't show you this movie, dude. I know we watched, it. especially because I, I, my first viewing of Halloween was Chris. My first viewing of Bloodsucking Freaks was Chris and Corey. Like all these movies, all these like iconic uh, horror films were like introduced to me by you guys. You know, like it's and so the, the sleepaway camp like slipped through the cracks there somehow. <laughs> <laughs> There's some joke that could be made with that, but right. I'll, I'll let it go. <laughs> You'll take the high road this time. Yes, yes, that's me. High road <laughs> McGuire. That's what right. I'm known as. Um, Robert, what about you? Uh, what was your favorite kill? Um, I guess my favorite one would be the uh, the shower one with the knife through the wall and kind of dragging it <laughs> down. I guess like you, you really don't see anything but a little blood through the wall or whatever. But like, I think what makes it my favorite part because it made me laugh is that girl seconds before it happens must have the cleanest clavicle in the camp because she's just washing the same area over and over and over until she gets stabbed. Like, even when she has no soap, she's still rubbing her her fucking collarbone for like 30 seconds. What song is she singing? I'm like, I, I, I try to slow it. I try to pause it and listen because I can't hear it because the sound design is like a little low. But man, I'm like, what song is she humming right now? Is it Tom Petty? We couldn't figure it out either. That was our first. That was our first. Tom Petty. That was our first uh, question too. We were like, what is she humming? Like, what is going on? But like, yeah, we never, we never could figure it out. But yeah, like, yeah, it's just. I, I don't know. Like you said, like they leave a little bit to the imagination because they never really show anything, uh, like you know, happening to her. She's just acting up against a wall, basically. That the knife is going all the, the way reactions, down. And the reactions, the reactions to the deaths are bigger than the deaths themselves. Like for example, when the boat, when the, when the boat hits the kids, the girls in the water just screaming, "Oh my god, we hit a boat!" <laughs> 
I'm about to make that my ringtone. I'm telling you, but like, <laughs> the, the, the camp counselor or the the camp owner's reactions to these deaths. I was like, honestly, the more kill, kills there were, the more I was like ready for his reaction. And then it it paid off because he when he beats the shit out of Ronnie, it's like it's out of control. Like it's it's like I mean. But yeah, that dude. The like, it's so funny that the reactions. But the sound design in that shower scene really made my butthole pucker. I was like, "Oh no!" <laughs> That's quite the reaction. <laughs> you hear, you hear like the the girl screaming. You hear the knife. You hear it like scraping through the tile. There's like a little bone clack. It's it's classic. Like it it was especially for that time. Like that 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 is like some like top notch like sound design for that moment. Like. Awesome. Uh, Corey, what was your favorite kill? Uh, my favorite kill, in, I got to say, it's probably uh, the curling iron. Um, I think there's probably a little bit more we could see. And I've read that there's um, some footage where uh, a little bit too grisly, the MPAA had them remove it. But um, so Judy, the camp bitch who likes to wear a shirt that says her name on it, Judy, which is <laughs> Just fantastic. in case you uh, didn't know. Yeah, it's like, hey. I'm Judy. Uh, she gets <laughs> caught. Uh, she's skipping out on the social just to, you know, she's too cool for school. Someone comes in and then uh, she just gets socked right in the face and she goes down like a light. <laughs> just like, bam, down. And like Robert at a, in a mosh pit. Yeah, Robert in a mosh pit. There you go. Yeah, <laughs> yeah fuck you. <laughs> and then uh, whoever the killer is, you know, puts a pillow over her face and then gets her uh, just recently used curling iron, so it's still nice and hot, oh. and you just see it. You don't see where it goes, but uh, Felissa Rose said that um, it does, in fact, go into her vagina. So, um, death by curling iron, and uh, I'm not sure, you know, the stay of her pubes after that. But uh, <laughs> God, her. Well, I also did her curling. You know, it's out of control. Oh yeah, and then that. you see the her uh, hands up in the air, the shadow. It's like little jazz hands, the shadow. Yeah. And um, <laughs> fucking uh, before the curling iron does its business, the killer opens it. So it's you're ju- just trying to put it together in my mind how that all fits, and uh, just unpleasant, and uh, couldn't happen to a nicer person. I was glad to see Judy get it because uh, possibly one yeah. of the least likable characters. I possibly have a, the movies we're going to see. Uh, I, I've read a, an interesting thing about uh, the character of Judy. Is that so? I don't know if you guys ever watched Thirty Rock or Ally McBeal, but Jane Krakowski was originally yep it cast as Judy, but yeah. turned it down because the death scene was like, "Whoa, that's too much." And so, I guess like it, you know, I don't know if her, her career would have been way different if she had been in this movie. But it's like that, yeah, that's definitely a death that was like, wow. Like that, but I also don't know. Did she die immediately? Because when everyone's kind of like coming out of the the cabin, you know, ah, uh, you know, I don't know when they're like revealing it. I don't know. Did it did it kill her immediately? What's funny is like my favorite uh, death scene or kill. Um, I don't know if it was actually a kill either. Um, I'm going to go with um, Artie, who's the head <laughs> cook. Um, this one was like a really satisfying one for me because he was a total creep. He's basically a pedophile. Uh, it's early on that that's where we were saying that he was the one talking about how like the he likes looking at the girls because they're like little what does he call them chicks or fresh young hens? chicken? 
chickens, yeah, because they're they're bald or something. Where I come from, they call them baldies. <laughs> yeah, he ends up early on. Uh, <clears throat> Ronnie, the camp counselor, um, sees Angela. She's not eating, so he's like, "Hey, I'll take you in the back. I'll let you meet uh, Artie, the head cook, and he'll he'll cook something up for you, real good or whatever." And so she goes in into the back with him, and then uh, leaves leaves her with Artie, who's obviously a creeper and openly and like, oh. drinking during working hours. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. He's like, at least just, at least uh, try to hide it. He just sits it on the counter. Um, it's like a MGD. I think he's drinking. Um, then he takes her into like, I guess the back, like a uh, refrigerator closet or something. And uh, immediately just starts being super creepy, obviously about to rape her. And then uh, thankfully her cousin um, comes in and saves her. But then Artie like beats the shit out of him. He's like, "Hey, if you ever tell anybody, I'm gonna kill you." And uh, and we're like, "Wow!" So the next scene, we get that point of view shot where it shows Artie uh, cooking something the the tallest <laughs> pot I've ever seen. Like it's Ridiculous. at least six feet high. <laughs> There's no imagine pot that exists. I was hoping he would like fall that. in. I was like, "Please let him fall in," but it was impossible. The physics of it because it was a six foot tall pot. <laughs> Yeah, and then, like, it looks like you could cook, like, a spaghetti for the entire town of Crowley uh, <laughs> in that. like, And so he has to stand on, a, like, an old chair, an old wooden chair. Just, I would say uh, the chair is rickety. Absolutely. Uh, ultra rickety. Uh, and then, so he's up there, and he's leaning over, pouring some salt in the water. And then someone, like, grabs the chair, the legs of the chair, starts pulling it backwards. And it, like makes him like lean over and he's basically just like holding on to this old ass shelf. And he's like, Hey, uh, whoever's doing that, I'll, I'll make you, make you a Sunday ice cream Sunday. If you stop it, <laughs> it's like, what? and they keep pulling it back. He just gets super angry. He's like, I'm going to fire. Camera. And he, they finally pull it off. And it's a really long scene. It's just like way too long. I he feel like he screams for 45 seconds. <laughs> he screams so bloody murder for 45 seconds straight. The hot gigantic, like, pot of boiling water falls on him and it just immediately turns into like the first shot is you see his hands like uh, up in the air and he's screaming and it's just like like pus and boils all over and it shows his face and like the weird blisters are like moving and stuff and i guess that they have some sort of air compressor underneath his head to to shoot in like compressed air to make yeah he was um, on a uh, false floor and they had people underneath doing pumping liquid gelatin into the blisters Oh, it, it looked so gross and just the screaming and everything. Like I thought that was a really, it was a rather simple, simple kill, uh, just pouring hot water on someone really. But, um, I, I assume that he died. At least I, he probably would want to be dead. After yeah. That. I mean, the doctor's like, Oh, I can't imagine the agony. I don't have any medicine for the kind of agony this man's in. And every nerve on in his body must feel like it's on fire. Lots of aloe vera. Oh, like I hope wow. they have a big aloe vera plant for that one. A little bit of silvadine. <laughs> and, yeah, and also oh. that's you know for being uh, you know a slasher film, I would say that's probably the goriest thing we see in the movie. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I mean, the bees—that's kind of gnarly. Some of the bee stings and whatnot that we'll get to later, but yeah, I mean, again, like with. Uh, Chainsaw Massacre 2, not really all that violent. I'm not sure if it's because, you know, watching some of the more obscure, trashy movies that, you know, I myself watch, these uh, other movies maybe aren't as bad, despite maybe to most other people that don't, that aren't sick in the head like us that watch this <laughs> shit. Um, 
I really didn't think this movie was, you know, all that bad. You know, a few things I wouldn't want my five-year-old to watch, but overall, eh. I've seen worse. I, I have to wonder if the kid that was killed in the canoe, because when you see the snake, there's a lot of, like, stuff happening to his face, and I'm wondering if that's that plays into the ending. You know, that, like, maybe there was some stress on, on Angela's part, and then, you know... Just took it out on that kid's mouth or something. I'm just saying. I'm just saying. The snake didn't do it. She didn't have a knife out there. She just held him underwater. I'm just saying, bro. It's a, it's like a big. It's like a Shyamalan like red herring or like uh, like like foreshadowing. You know, it's just right there for the taking. I don't know. I don't know. A little bit of gag that factor should, going on. That should segue us into the next uh, set bit pretty well, though. If, if that's why I made your butthole pucker. The backstory yeah. of Rally. <laughs> Oh, man. Okay. Uh, We're going to take a quick break uh, and we'll jump back in. And when we return, uh, we're going to uh, learn a true story from Crowley, the origins of how Crowley got its name. Very exciting. Hold on to your panties. That's right. All right. We'll be back. And we're back. back. Uh, And as we said right before the break, we're going to tell you a little bit about uh, the town we grew up in, Crowley, Texas. Set us up for this one, Corey. All right. So uh, all four of us grew up in Crowley. Uh, I think I might have been the last one to move there in third grade. Uh, But yeah, there's a couple of parks in Crowley. um, One over by where uh, Cody and Chris live, Bicentennial Park. There's lots of stories about possible, uh, you know, devil worshiping out in the woods back there, satanic activity. And I think each one of us probably had some kind of run in uh, to some extent with this kind of stuff. And just the entire town, it's just a weird, strange place that no one ever should live. But, uh, you know, we grew up there. It helped shape who we are. And, uh, you know, with all this in mind, I thought I'd do some digging to see maybe what is this all about what's in the background of this town that might explain some of the weirdness that we experience. So, um, Chris, if uh, you'll take it away, let's do it. The accepted history of Crowley, Texas, where all four of the blood sucking geeks grew up is your typical run of the mill story that could easily describe any number of small towns throughout Texas and probably across the country in the late 1840s. Pioneers began hanging out around Deer Creek doing their pioneer thing. Lots of farming, lots of weird pioneer sex, and probably some bestiality. A little later, on the Gulf, Colorado, and Santa Fe Railway, companies laid down the railroad tracks that still divide the town today, and those pioneers over by Deer Creek decided to move a little further west to be near the railroad. The first station went up around 1885, and the small backwards community was named after the master of transportation for the railroad, S.H. Crowley. In 1951, an election was held to incorporate the community, whatever the hell that means. And then in 1972, the town council decided to get fancy and change Crowley's designation from that of a town to that of a city. This was due to the fact that in 1971, indoor toilets were first introduced and the town folk felt proud of their new cosmopolitan ways and wanted to be like the fancy people over in Fort Worth. 
Again, all pretty typical, perhaps just possibly a little too typical. While growing up in Quiet Crowley, it was not com uncommon to hear rumors of satanic activity taking place out in the hinterlands of Bicentennial Park, one of the two parks in the sleepy little town of just over 5,000 God-fearing Christians. I don't think I would be telling stories outside of school if I said that each one of the blood-sucking geeks has had some kind of encounter with what could very well be the worship of the Dark Lord, and I don't mean Voldemort. Pentagrams, weird wicker arts and crafts, even pornographic material just laying out for anyone to see. Could this be something sinister looking just beyond the shadows of the seemingly normal and quiet suburb? Surely there isn't some kind of secret cabal of devil worshippers going out to the woods deep in Bicentennial Park and practicing the dark arts and committing ritual acts of pedophilia. Big, if true, and if this was the case, was this something new, possibly inspired by the heavy metal acts of the 1980s, or perhaps even the gyrations of Elvis's pelvis, or even more frighteningly, was this something that was woven into the fabric of the city's DNA since its very founding? Now we don't have time today to do a deep dive on the literally hundreds of bits of evidence that point to this being the case, but I would like to drop a little truth bomb on you here before we move on to sleepaway camp. S.H. Crowley, the city's namesake, a hard-working master of transportation, memorialized for all time by having a turd of a city named after him. However, after doing hours of exhaustive research, scanning through fish after fish of microfish, digging through thick, dusty tomes in the dank recess of the Crowley Public Library, I think I may have stumbled upon something so shocking that it will make your nipples hard. In the early 1880s, shortly after moving to the community that would eventually be named after him, S.H. Crowley hosted his young nephew, Edward, who was visiting from England. Now, why in the world would a boy born into a wealthy family who was barely older than ten be visiting some desolate outpost in Texas? That's a good question. So let's not bother with it because it will screw up my story. His father had just died of tongue cancer and he wanted to go to Texas. One day, Edward, who had observed this regular occurrence, inquired to his uncle what the matter was all about, deciding to take on the duty of a father since Edward's dad had recently passed. S.H. told the young lad that the next Sunday he should accompany him into the woods and he would see what the hubbub was all about. That next Sunday soon came and Edward dutifully accompanied his uncle out to the woods. They were accompanied by six men, six women, and six goats. Once deep inside the woods, the procession came to a halt, and the men unloaded two large crates from the buggies while the women staked the goats to the ground to prevent them from running away. Once this was all done, dark hooded robes were fetched out of the buggy, and the men and women, without any modesty or hesitation, stripped to their bare flabby flesh. They then put on the dark robes and began chanting in some language Edward had never heard before. At this point, S.H. opened the first crate and inside huddled up were three young boys. Another man opened the second crate and it contained the same contents. The events that unfolded over the next few hours would irreversibly change Edward that night. Such perversion and depravity that I cannot describe here. Mostly because Cody would get inappropriately aroused. Needless to say, there were some people diddling, some goat diddling, and some ritual sacrifice. Then more people and goat diddling. But this time it was dead people and dead goat diddling. 
Soon after that night, young Edward went back to England. However, he was a changed boy. He became known as the wickedest man in the world and frequently labeled a Satanist by the mainstream media. Edward Alexander Crowley, or more commonly known, Alistair Crowley the Great Beast, had his humble beginnings with the occult and Western esotericism while visiting his uncle in Crowley, Texas. Is it possible that while visiting Crowley that Alistair Crowley learned about the Cake of Light, a biscuit containing either menstrual blood or a mixture of semen and vaginal fluids? Growing up, they were still serving these Cakes of Light at Eagle Donut and Dan and Maxine's. Does the railroad still serve as a transportation hub for a satanic pedophile ring in Crowley? I don't know. I mean, it could. Wow. Bravo. <laughs> Bravo. Oh, man. That is some uh, literary uh, magnificence there, Corey. Oh, well, um, I probably should talk to a therapist about that. <laughs> this is your therapy, I feel. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I so there you have my wife, I'm... and I'm scared for her reaction. <laughs> um, you know what's funny is like I always wondered growing up, like was there some sort of uh, connection between Aleister Crowley uh, and Crowley, Texas? And sure enough, um, apparently it's all true. Yes, yes. I mean, the easy answer is no, there's not. But the true right. answer is absolutely. If you do enough digging and uh, make enough connections and points, um, it all it, it all it's all connected. I mean, all I got, they're alternative facts. We can leave it at that, I think. Um, I'm now, like I said before, I'm just afraid for, for Robert um, and and feel like the the cabal is going to come down on him next. Yeah, the pro- he's t- t- proximity, man. It's all about proximity. Yeah. I'm the one that's still here. I'm going to take all the shit like Triple H did with a click. So for- I'm going I'm to be like fucking hog fighting match or whatever with one of the god ones that buys oh god hog wild 2020 <laughs> oh, oh lord was that the one with Tim and bigelow's belt popping yeah off? i called it too oh god um man uh i can't wait to to learn more um th- there's definitely going to be a lot more uh satanic stories because we have some really legitimate crazy stories from crowley uh and it's it's see it's seemingly one of those like um, quiet suburbs, um, but there's a lot more going on there that meets the eye. Yeah, there, um, we'll need a whole entire section to talk about the curse of Crowley past the Aleister Crowley in- influence because we've had some of the most random deaths and occurrences. You know, first uh, school hijacking with a with a with a gun, <laughs> you know, taking hostage to school. Billy Junior. That was before Columbine. Billy Junior. Yeah. Uh, you know, we had like someone died over fireworks. You know, there's like there's wild murders in our town that are just simply connected to the occult. That's the only way. It, it, it's, it's all seemingly like happenstance and convenient accidents, but we know there's something darker and deeper at work here. Yeah, I mean, these things can easily be explained away with a. Uh, rational logical uh explanations if you want if you want to be a rube like that but if you dig a little bit deeper yeah. the truth is there it's just you have to ignore a bunch of uh facts <laughs> and on this show there are zero facts zero so we don't let that get in the way probably that's the only <laughs> fact 
<laughs> oh man okay um that's gonna do it from uh totally 100 true stories from crowley uh for this week let's get back into the main theme of the, the podcast and while we're here let's talk about sleepaway camp and for that i'm going to throw it back over to you Corey. all right yeah so sleepaway camp uh typical story uh we've seen it a lot uh summer camp where uh, the counselors are horny the kids are assholes and they all die. Uh, so this movie starts off uh, without any yep. explanation. A few kids on a sailboat with their dad. We're led to believe uh, this other teenage couples driving around a ski boat. The girls pestering the driver to let her drive. He relents because he wants to get laid, even though she's annoying as fuck. And uh, so during that whole business, uh, the girls not really paying too much attention the people on the boat, the sailboat, the kids and their father fall off just doing some horseplay. And what happens, what would happen anytime you horseplay around a boat, you get run the fuck over. Uh, so after that happens, we see the father's body floating. We see a mangled life vest and one of the children is surviving. And then the lady that was skiing behind the boat is just freaking the fuck out, screaming her head off, saying we ran over these people and someone needs to help them. So that's how we set the movie up. Uh, eight years later, we flash forward and we're at Aunt Martha's house. Uh, Aunt Martha, what can oh, you say about her? Uh, <laughs> what were your your, your guys' thoughts on uh, Aunt Martha? Uh, I saw um, she's batshit crazy for one, uh, and you would think that she's overacting or just trying to do some weird like maybe she had like a small like run at like theater or something or she was just yeah. wanting to be a theater actress and she was just doing that whole gimmick but from what i saw on the blu-ray like collector's edition like i think they had a, some sort of interview with her after the fact she said that they didn't really give her a lot to go off of they just kind of said like just be kind of over the top and a little and really weird and so that's just what she did and apparently they liked it yeah i mean uh Desiree Gould, who uh, played Aunt Martha, she really didn't do anything after this movie. She went on to become a real estate agent. And uh, I just find it interesting uh, as far as that statement about her not really getting much direction because say what you want about these people's acting ability. They play it pretty straight. It's not really over the top or anything you know silly. But uh, Aunt Martha definitely stands out in that respect because it's really stylized and over the top and, like you said, theatrical. So um, it definitely those makes flashbacks her- are some of my favorite parts of the movie. Is those flashbacks because you're like, whoa, it's like a soap opera almost. Something about it, and yeah, you're just I mean, seeing Aunt like Martha do her thing. Focus. Yeah, <laughs> and she has this like running internal dialogue with herself, uh, almost like she doesn't need anyone else there to be talking to because. She's talking to herself half the time, talking about <laughs> how things went due and whatnot. So uh, she's getting um, her son, Ricky, and his cousin, Angela, who we learn is uh, the orphan from the beginning of the movie. Her uh, father and brother were, you know, hacked up by the speedboat. Uh, she's getting them prepped for summer camp, giving them lunches and whatnot. Uh, one of the things that I found interesting, and it's a little bit of foreshadowing, she gives them copies of their physicals and reminds Ricky and Angela not to tell anyone how they got them because they wouldn't approve of that at all, even though they know I'm a doctor. So uh, 
once we see what happens in the movie, that's a little telling. And uh, also, I found it interesting that she claims to be a doctor because, holy fuck, I would not want her as my doc. Could you imagine? Yes. Yes. <laughs> especially, <laughs> uh, especially during our prostate exam. I can't imagine. Exam. That's why we don't want to be a doctor. Oh, okay. yeah, well, exactly. we're doing a prostate exam with that little ribbon tied around her finger. That'd be kind of hard. <laughs> especially if she cu- comes out and there's no ribbon around her finger then. It's like, hey, Doc, you need to retrieve that. Okay, so uh, kids go off to summer camp, and uh, this is when we're introduced to the guy that owns the camp, Mel. Mel. Good old Mel. He's great. He's sitting there with this big old stogie, some great plaid pants, and what we're led to believe, like, his sidekick, his right-hand man, Ronnie, uh, with the tiniest, tiniest shorts. I mean, it leaves nothing to the imagination where old Ronnie's packing downstairs. Is, are we not going to talk about whether or not Mel had a hairpiece in this? Clearly had a hairpiece. Yeah. 100% a rug. <laughs> he plays it like total serious too. And I swear apparently adjusted, I didn't know. He adjusted at one point. I, I swear when he's like pissed <laughs> and he's doing shit, he adjusted. I saw it. Like, Oh, that's great. Uh, apparently he was a super nice guy. And, um, I think he had like some form of cancer and died not long after this movie. Yeah, yeah. He uh, was actually uh, dying as the movie was being made. I think it might have been lung cancer, uh, but he actually uh, <laughs> died, uh, yeah, lung cancer three months before the Jesus film was released. Jesus Christ. So they had his character smoking cigars, or do you think that's a personal choice? Uh, well, he got lung cancer. I'm guessing he was from the making of this movie. movie. He's yeah. just there, take after take. Oh, wow. That's well rip to Mel. Rest in peace, my guy. But yeah, he didn't even get to see this movie released. Died three months before it came out. So uh, this was his final film. He had done uh, some stuff like uh, Jerry Lewis and Dean Martin back in the day. So uh, pretty accomplished actor. And uh, this is what I'll always remember him for. Um, so oh, Mel. Oh, yeah. Mel. So we'll get more into Mel later on. And uh, Ronnie as well. So all these kids are pouring off the buses. For some reason, Mel and Ronnie are basically just like screaming at them to hurry. It was like almost fucking a boot camp thing. I'm not sure. <laughs> I think some one kid runs into Ronnie and grabs his like package. Well, you know that? Well, yeah, but I'm, I'm just surprised only one, it happened once. Yeah, fair enough. But also, yeah, I mean, going through lots of the shit that happens in this camp, people are spending their hard-earned money to send them to this camp. And we have abusive counselors. I mean, verbally, mentally, physically, they're negligent. I mean, even if this wasn't, you know, like a camp being terrorized by a killer, I think just in and of itself, this place would be shut down in a heartbeat because Jesus Christ. I can only imagine they'd send you to places like this just to kind of toughen you up. Like if you're that kind of like weird chubby kid or just like you it, couldn't it make feels, friends. Like, it feels uh, more like a boy's ranch than it does a camp, but there's it's co-ed. So it's like, what? Like, yeah, it feels like you've been sent to like, oh, detention camp. straight. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> or, or all the counselors are like pedophiles and well, and a good number of them seem to be pedophiles because uh, as we see these kids coming off the bus in the background, the kitchen staff is there, and uh, one of the great characters in the movie, Artie, who's played by <laughs> Owen Hughes, uh, you see there just, you know, leering. I think that's the best way to describe it. Leering yeah. at these children running off the bus. Uh, 
He's saying he's just like, mm, look at all of this, that young, fresh chicken. Where I come from, we call them baldies. Oh, God. <laughs> just... <laughs> As everyone kind of like no, and the weird thing is like no one like questions it. They're all no kind of like all around oh, him right. checks him. No one person checks him. <laughs> they're just like you're crazy, bro. Know what you're thinking about? He's like, ah, oh, you're just too old. He's like, ah, you crazy pedophile. Get <laughs> <laughs> yeah. to work. Oh my god. Yeah. So uh, after that, we're introduced to. Uh, I would say probably the main villain of the story, Judy, played by Karen Fields. Uh, Ricky is telling Angela he had hooked up with her the summer before, uh, but this time around she's ignoring him because I guess she is developed, as uh, she females might do at that age. Uh, And so she's talking to some older guys, and Ricky just isn't that cool for her anymore. Um, At this point... uh, we're kind of introduced to her being just a total bitch. Uh, then later on inside the female bunk room, we're introduced to her sidekick, Meg, who makes sure to let you know how you spell her name, Meg, M-E-G, as if that is confusing. Uh, Meg with an I. Oh, yeah, yeah. The K is silent. <laughs> so uh, this is when we first get something, some clue that Angela's a fucking weirdo. She's just sitting on her bed, cross-legged, just staring at Meg. And so that's when Meg and Judy start whispering each other. And it's like, okay, we're going to fuck with this chick because she's creepy. She's weird. We're teenage girls. Teenagers are awful. So uh, next we're uh, in the cafeteria. Now Mel is wearing some uh, fantastic pink pants and uh, Ronnie is wearing, I think, the outfit of the movie, the sleeveless collared shirt and uh, <laughs> the tiniest red shorts. I mean, I can only imagine that he's losing blood flow to his groin because of how tight these shorts are. And it's just so inappropriate wearing that with his bits and pieces, you know, out there leaves nothing to the imagination around children. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So, um. He's told that uh, Angela. Has- I feel like that's maybe Mel is like he's the one in charge of all the like the staff uh, wardrobes, and he just oh, yeah. makes Ronnie just wear those like tiny little shorts all the time. Well, Ronnie doesn't want to, but Mel makes them. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, if they still made those, I think I'd be wearing them. Although no one would want to see that, but whatever. But also, I'd uh, be wearing Mel's outfit. Oh hell yeah! I think I have some shit like that. <laughs> But during that scene, um, Meg comes over and starts kind of talking to Mel. And when she walks away, he slaps her ass. Did y'all catch that? I didn't catch that. Yeah. I didn't didn't think that's, is that what he did? Okay. Wow. And I mean, later on in the movie, you see that, you know, she's kind of flirting with him for God knows what reason, because I can't imagine running this shitty little summer camp. He's, you know, rolling in the money, Scrooge McDuck style or anything like that. But uh, she's is she the one that he, he like goes on a they set up a date later? Yeah, yeah. The same girl, okay. Yeah, uh, and he gets all that's what really sets him over the edge when he finds her body later on. But we'll get to that. Uh, so uh, Ronnie decides he's going to take Angela back to see Artie because she hasn't even asked Artie. You know, cook her up something good. Uh, things progress. He gets called away. Artie takes uh, Angela into the walk-in pantry area, I guess, and uh, starts taking off his belt. So he's, uh, you know, we're going to see some attempted child rape, which is 
wildly inappropriate. Let me just say that. We here at uh, Blood Sucking Geeks are against child rape. I, I, that's a very progressive uh, stand, and uh, I'm, I'm with I you. Just, I, just, I mean, I don't <laughs> want to speak for you guys. I'm against zero child. tolerance. <laughs> yeah. No, you can speak for me. There, okay, <laughs> all in agreement. Great. Okay, well, no drama there. That's good. Uh, so Ricky comes in. She's like, "What the fuck?" And uh, Artie, you know. <laughs> Of course, he just got caught almost raping a child. So what does he do? He abuses a child physically, uh, slams Ricky against the uh, wall and threatens him to, you know, keep his mouth shut. Uh, comes out. Obviously, something freaky has happened. Mel is like, what the fuck? Uh, and Artie's like, I guess I just scared him. And Mel's like, hmm. It's like, dude, this guy is clearly a pedophile. Why? Mel should not be running this camp. He is a terrible administrator. Yeah, he's way out of his league. Like he, he's in over his head. Um, just should not should not be here. And also, I mean, this kid. I feel like he's also in debt. Like maybe to the, like the the, the <laughs> mob or something. I, at some just, point, he says this will financially ruin me. I think. I think he drops yeah. the the Tiger King line. The Tiger. I'll never financially recover. <laughs> yeah, from that's this. the one. That's the one. <laughs> he says that when he finds like the fifth dead body. <laughs> There are a lot of Tiger King parallels into this, like pedophilia, like all sorts of weird stuff going on here. Well, so Mel is the true Tiger King, right? Let's call him that. Yeah. Why not? <laughs> he was Joe Exotic before Joe Exotic. Right. Uh, so also, I want to point out that this kitchen is disgusting. They have those strips oh, to catch flies just all over the place, just Filled with dead flies. The first, that's the first thing I see in the shot of like the reveal of like, oh, here we're in the cafeteria, whatever. And there's a fly trap with just just riddled with flies. I'm like, that's real, dude. Like, here's the thing: when you shoot a low budget movie in the summer, like, and you don't have like the flies just come out outside. You're at a camp, you know. And I mean, God, I saw, I saw that and was like, that's real. That's not like stage dressing. They were just like, leave it. It's, it's, we should point out though too, because I mean, this was filmed at a real sleepaway camp, just like off season, right? Like I think it was filmed in the early fall, so yeah, yeah. Probably campers just left, and this was all like a legit, you know, setup. Everything well, about yeah. the way they did it is super impressive to me because I'm like 350 grand shooting on 35 mil film. You got all these kids, you know, like they're not underage, so you don't. Have, you, you, you there's like a working rule about like younger kids can only work a certain number of hours and they have to go to school and all this other stuff. So they were like probably all of age or like not minors, you know, or well, minors. Rose was work. 13. Oh, so then, okay. Years. So yeah, then they definitely, that's crazy. So they probably only had, and I probably was, maybe they weren't even paying attention to those rules back then, but usually you can only shoot a kid for like it's eight hours a day. Do pretty much anything and, you want. Yeah, <laughs> that's for sure. Dude. <laughs> oh man. But yeah, sorry. Well, back to the, the, to the story. Yeah, the Robert Hiltzik, who, you know, directed, wrote, and produced this, he actually attended that very camp as a child where they shot the film. Wow. So he had definite yeah. familiarity there, and uh, I can only imagine he was abused in some horrible way to go back oh, and make Jesus. this type of movie. <laughs> <laughs> that's deep. I didn't think, I didn't realize that. That's really deep that he, that's the only movie he ever did was like, he just needed to get it off his chest. Well, you so know, this is like him basically coming out and, and saying like all this like weird pedophilia and like this is his sleepers. This there. is his version of sleepers before sleepers was sleepers. <laughs> Y'all know that movie. 
Yeah, yeah. And Ronnie was actually a real like uh, uh like a uh, uh, teacher there, like a. Uh, no the, shit. He was like a local. They were just like, "You're in the movie." He just walked by one day in those short shorts. Like, <laughs> I gotta have that. Guy. <laughs> <laughs> they didn't even care about his acting abilities. They just wanted what Ronnie was packing. <laughs> yeah. That Italian sausage. You're the full, you're the total package, Ronnie. <laughs> So uh, we covered it a little bit earlier uh, with one of the, our favorite kills, but uh, he's cooking, Artie's cooking corn in literally the most ridiculously sized pot you could imagine. I mean, it's sitting on a stove, a good three feet tall this pot is. He has to climb on a chair to put stuff in it. Uh, even during the commentary, uh, Robert Hildzik was joking about it how they had to have that pot made for the movie and how it's just so ridiculous and silly. Um, but, uh, yeah. How do, you, how do you even get to the bottom of that? If you're getting stuff out of it, exactly. I mean, <laughs> let's not get too far into the uh, logic <laughs> of this movie. Uh, so we see some unseen, uh, perpetrator come up, uh, it's all shot from a first person perspective, uh, messes with Artie, pulls the chair out from under him. And as we already described, he falls back pot of boiling water pours all over him we had this extended take of you know his face all bubbling and melting and him just screaming his head off for a good 45 seconds uh so ouch that's all i gotta say ouch that was the most painful looking um kill for me too just like because man like there's two things i hate most in this world it's um being sticky like having like (laughs) Just being your hands feeling sticky and then being burned. And so, like, if there's two ways I don't want to go, it's just being sticky to death or being burned to death. And I can't imagine how you'd be sticky to death. I'm I'm wondering if he he had just, if if his, if he had had the salt already, would he have, would he have ever been killed? Oh, God. Why? Why would you say that? (laughs) Oh, but hey, that's the only thing that could have made that scene worse. Yeah, I mean, because he had the whole thing of it, and I thought, oh, they're going to do it. He's laying on the ground. We're looking at his face. He's screaming for 40 seconds. The salt that would have been fall. awesome. It's going like, to be in his mouth like a, or something or anything, you know. If you would have seen that just, like, hand come in off camera and pick up the salt and just, like, oh. pour it. And all you see is the salt pouring down, and you hear just the blood-curdling screams of Artie the pedophile. And one of the things that uh, – little bit of trivia the we see the hands push Artie. uh that was actually ricky the guy that played him john tierston because felissa rose's mother was on set and she didn't want her she wasn't comfortable with her daughter's character being the killer because you know she's 13 years old so they had it written into her contract that she wouldn't actually participate in any of the kill scenes so that is actually uh john tierston pushing Artie in and later on when uh, Judy sees her killer come in and uh, is backlit from behind, that's Jonathan Tierson wearing a wig uh, in that scene. So all the shots that we see of the killer until the final one are actually uh, him because Felissa Rose's mom didn't want her to be involved in those type scenes. I, I think that makes sense though, uh, too, just as, as trying to keep you guessing. Yeah. Um, because you can tell that that, you could tell that that was not like her hands. Yeah, those like, hands, they're, they're not like, they're not necessarily like a girl's hands, but they're not, you're like, it's not a, it's a, not a kid, you know, like it's hard to tell. Like the, it, it's, I, I like the, the mystery there when you saw the hand and you're like, okay, 
Thanks. That's the, there's a hand. Yeah. So um, <laughs> eventually, uh, Ben, the other cook, Robert Earl Jones, he comes in, discovers Artie, uh, you know, cops, paramedics come. Mel is very eager to just dismiss it as an accident, wants to get the ambulance and the cops out of there because he's worried about his business. He doesn't want to scare the kids. He doesn't want word game back to the parents that all this uh, shenanigans are going on. So uh, he's just like, nope, accident. And he basically bribes the rest of the cooking staff to keep their mouth shut. Um, after that, we see a bunch of just, you know, regular summer camp stuff. Uh, the old butt face prank where the guy sits up and his bare ass touches another kid's or his face goes into a kid's bare ass, which is uh, in this day and age, that would be frowned upon, I would say. <laughs> I, I remember well, you and, registered in this day and age if you did that. <laughs> yeah. Um, I, the only one that has like a really funny story of like waking someone up at a sleepover. I remember Robert told me a story about what he did to Corey Nestle <laughs> at a sleepover yeah. back in the day. Robert, can you tell this story? Uh, I, I, I guess so. Um, this was at a. Uh, Kevin Lawson's house, which is actually right down the street where you grew yeah, up, right? Yeah, Corey? you live like a block away. Yeah, like, um, I don't know what the fuck we were thinking, <laughs> but like, we we got straws and we put spices in each of the straws, <laughs> and like we put them in his nostrils and blew him up his as nose. he was sleeping. <laughs> as he was sleeping. So immediately he wakes up and it's screaming and blood is pouring out of his nose. And like, so he's running to Kevin's uh, bathroom, screaming, holding his hands underneath his nose. Like and by the time he gets to the bathroom, his hands are full of blood. So he's catching the blood. Like, like he's going to put it back later. Wait, what spices did y'all fucking use? Oh my god! I don't know, like salt, pepper, like garlic salt or something. <laughs> like, salt. Was he a vampire? Like, like I, I really, I really don't remember exactly what it was we used, but like, or what we were thinking, and like, and, and and the thing was also earlier in the night we were trying to scare him with devil worship. Oh god, not that that incorporates, not that that incorporates with the straw thing, but. We kept playing Supercharger Heaven by White oh Zombie and like the devil man, devil man, like kept like doing it in his face as he was trying to go to sleep and stuff. <laughs> we were seventh, like seventh grade, you know, so like we were just stupid. And yeah, like we did that. I don't remember like the outcome. I'm pretty sure we did get um, in big trouble over it from <laughs> Kevin's parents and obviously, you know, my parents finding out about it. But yeah, we never did anything like that mean to him again. So Poor guy. Speaking yeah, of was... blood coming out of orifices, so uh, at camp, at I camp want to hear about time, your weekend. <laughs> at, at, at one time at camp, I went to Camp Carter in like sixth or seventh grade, and there was this. Uh, we were at the dance, like, and it was like "Sweet Child of Mine" came on. And I was dancing with like the coolest girl at the camp. Oh, you know? sweet! And Judy was her, was her name. Judy. Actually, I'm pro- I'm pretty sure it was. And so she she freaked out because the song came on, and I thought immediately like, "Oh shit, something happened to her during this so- this this song." But then I start, I started tearing up, and just bloody tears just started coming out of my eyes. And the whole camp sees this. It's like Carrie almost. Like, like my eyes just start watering because I was sad because like I thought I had a thing with this girl, and like and so and what had happened the day before is that. 
we had gone to the seance that these this, the camp counselors oh had set up. Okay, <laughs> they, they, and they, okay, and they, they, the whole entire two weeks we were there every day, like horseback riding or trail walking or whatever. They'd point to this little like Studebaker in this ravine and be like, "Old man Tucker." Uh, died down there and we were like cool bro okay so so they were like building up this story for like 15 days and then it was like the climax night and we had this irish like camp counselor and he's like oh don't you know we're gonna take you down to the the place where we're gonna do a stance now and he like had his prayer beads and we had they we all got around in a circle in the middle of the night and around this studebaker at the bottom of this hill and he lit fucking goddamn uh he lit candles and got his uh rosary and started praying and started like calling out to the spirits and i shit you not dude the fucking wind started blowing, and as he started asking questions, it started answering back. And we hear this voice that's just like, I'm old man Tucker. And we're all literally physically shitting ourselves. Okay, like, and I was like so close to getting to second base with this chick, and I was like the coolest kid at camp, and I like could throw the discus the furthest. So I was just like a cool kid. It was like my own little 80s movie montage. And so me and her are just clinging to each other, right? And we start getting freaked out. And the seance is going on further, and the thing that old man Tucker is saying more stuff, and we're hearing this voice come from a goddamn car in the middle of the night, out in the woods, like at a small campfire like type scene with like twenty kids, and we all just disband and run. Like and we get back to the camp. I'm just crying, I'm just dying, like I'm just it's it's we're just we're out of our minds. That they come back and they tell us it's all a prank, and they've like planted this goddamn tube under the ground from the top of this hill that goes underneath the car. And when you talk into it, you like hear it, and it sounds all spacey and shit. And they showed us how they did everything, and they like told us what this prank was. Okay, <laughs> and earlier that day, or like later on, no, the next day, we all wake up and we're like reeling from this. And the first thing they're like. Hey, you, you got to help us carry some stuff. Cause I was like the tallest kid. So they were like, carry this igloo cooler that we made this Kool-Aid in. And they had just dumped like 10 packets of Kool-Aid and like a pound of sugar into this, uh, igloo cooler on top of the water. <laughs> so I pick it up and I start walking and I almost get to the commissary, whatever thing. And the, I'm just carrying it by the lid and the lid comes off and it hits the ground and it shoots sugar and red Kool-Aid powder right into my eyeballs and into my nose, <laughs> into my mouth, everywhere. It was like, and it was dry, dude. I was like, <gasps> like I got douched with this straight douched. Okay. And so then I'm like, I'm dying and they're like washing me out. And I'm like, Ugh. and then the dance was that night. And so at the dance, me and the girl that had been freaked out the last, the night before from the seance go and we're like, we're like dancing to this like sweet child of mine or whatever and we're just like both kind of getting freaked out and she's i started just like crying blood because the the damn kool-aid was still in my tear ducts it was like the powdered kool-aid was in there and for days i had like little like red like tear tracers that would come out at times because the 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 um, sheer amount of kool-aid that got in my in my sinuses yeah he's never so, cried again since. <laughs> definitely not crying blood <laughs> Oh man. Okay. Uh, so <laughs> back to the movie, I guess. Uh, so next we have uh, what I can only describe as an epic baseball game. I mean, this game. Oh hell! Takes I, I don't know how long it goes on, but dear God, it just 
the some terrible fielding, I mind you. Oh. Like, like I, I gotta add, like no one is worth a damn at fielding the ball in this at all. No, no, they're the way they throw is horrible. They're fielding. I mean, but there's no semblance of who's on whose team. He's just like, yeah. well, who's the? What's the score? It's eight six. I'm pretty sure what? they have five bases too. I mean, what do they bet? Like, I couldn't. I've, I've watched this several times. For this, you know, show You're betting like a dollar a hit or something, or like some. No, he, no, he says, "Wait, what?" He's like, uh, "Fuck a man." He, he's how about five? So I think they're uh, daring each other to uh, fuck other dudes. <laughs> so then he's like, "No, like that's too much." One or something. And so he's like, <laughs> "He's got to fuck one man." <laughs> Is that what like? <laughs> and again, I want to point out that the counselors are around during this time. They're letting they're playing this go the game. On. Yeah. yeah. And just the sheer level of hostility. I mean, um, the trade-off between them, eat shit and die, Ricky. Eat shit. Eat shit and, die, and live, Bill. Bill. Yeah. <laughs> eat shit and live, life. bro. Yeah. Eat shit and live. That's my new that's my new fucking mantra in life. I wrote it down. I wrote that shit down on paper when I heard it. I was like, oh damn. I'm gonna get that tattooed on me. <laughs> <laughs> and then uh, at one point, the guy's you know sitting there. He takes a pitch, and someone, hey, come on, take the bow off your shoulder. He, Fuck you! Just so angry. <laughs> it's just it's disproportionate oh, how angry these kids are and how much they hate each other. And um, Mozart, the kid that got the um, butt face done to him, he actually was uh, picked on during this movie uh, for real by the other kids. And one of the guys that played a counselor had to step in. And kind of, you know, shut that down because I guess in real life, they were more responsible than the counselors they were playing in this movie. Thank God. Well, life imitates yeah. art. And yeah, until it, someone gets hurt. That's that's cool that they stepped in. That sucks. He got someone picked on, though. Yeah. So, I mean, I guess that's what happens in some movies. People just kind of become the characters they're playing. But uh, so the baseball game goes on and on and on. And I'm not even sure why, but it keeps going. And then um, we're at kind of a dance, I guess. And all these guys want to go skinny dipping. And one of them is like, who wants to go skinny dipping with 15 guys and only five girls? It's just like, well, <laughs> no one. <laughs> Literally no one. And um, Except all the guys. Yeah, because later on, they're trying to convince the girls to go. And the girls are like, uh, no. And they're like, well, fuck you again. Their hostility shows through. It's just like, Jesus, you go from like zero to 12. Yeah. Nothing. You're just like, fuck you. Just so angry. It's like, well, yeah, that's going to change their minds. But then there's like, damn it. These girls won't get naked and go swimming with us. Guess we're all just going to have to go swimming naked together. And like 15 guys just strip off their undies and go skinny dipping together, <sighs> which, you know, that's fine. That's fine. Not, I, I wouldn't do it, but that's fine. <laughs> And uh, so disclaimer, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> now, uh, during the dance, um, some people want some of the bullies are trying to, you know, see what's up with Angelo because she's real quiet and everything. And they start, you know, mocking her. Ricky comes in wearing a fantastic cowboy hat and uh, confronts the bullies, and this giant all out brawl ensues, this huge dog <laughs> pile. And again, the camp counselors, even the owner, are just sitting there watching, it's like. These damn kids. Where there's a full on like barroom brawl happening. <laughs> These people who their parents are assuming are caring for their children, keeping them safe and whatnot, are just like, yep. 
barroom brawl. That's happening. Yeah. So uh, eventually they break that up, and uh, somehow Ricky gets a bloody nose out of it too. Yeah. Well, he he had it coming. I really don't like Ricky. He's uh, I don't know. I like how mad he is, but he just can't back it up. No, no. He's dude, also like 10 years younger. Dude, than when they throw the time. water balloons, bro, he's the most mad ever. <laughs> <laughs> he's the seriously dies mad. Well, Ricky, he was actually 17 years old when they uh, made this movie. He looks a lot younger, I thought. But him and Felissa Rose had like a behind-the-scenes romance going on during the filming of this. And also years later, like, she, like, followed his band yeah, and stuff for a Andy's long time. Yeah, Department was the name of Whoa. his band. So, yeah. wait, he was 18? He was 17, 17 and she was 13. Jesus. Okay, well. Yeah. Uh, Again, it's the 80s. Yes. Yes. I mean, that's the only way to explain away any of this stuff. And I, I wonder what the statute is. On statutory in New York State. I, I, during the interviews I've seen with Felissa Rose, she just makes it sound like they just, you know, made out and kind of that. So, uh, but yeah, it's still cre- 17. What are you like a junior in high school and 13 year olds like middle school? That's ugh. Ugh. just, uh, but yeah, so they had a uh, behind the scenes romance and whatnot. And, you know, even after the movie. So, uh, that I mean, they're playing cousins and whatever. So uh, at that point, we're introduced to Paul, one of Ricky's friends, who um, Angela takes a liking to. And uh, so we are introduced to that, you know, on-screen chemistry. And also during this, we see Judy on the other side of the dance hall just eyeballing uh, Paul and Angela, which I... I just don't understand why she is so obsessed with Angela. I mean, yeah, she's quiet. She's weird, but she seems to be just offended that anyone would talk to her or show any interest in her. What'd you guys think? I assumed that it was just like Judy wants all the attention on her. And if anyone gets in the way of that, she's just going to like, you know, want to beat the shit out of them. Yeah, and she was mad. So I think she was jealous. mad about that. Exactly. Like, it wasn't like she was jealous of any, uh, like, guy attention for her. She was like, wait, she's being weird. No, everyone needs to be looking at these puppies that just came in. You know? And that's why <laughs> she tries to seduce that guy later on. Yeah. Uh, and and try to, you know, get... Because that's what, like, these petty bitches like Judy do. You know, like, they're not truly interested in the guy. They just want to show, like, that, like woman dominance over the other <laughs> and just like i could get your guy if i want to we're just pawns in this game oh yeah yep <laughs> like two sparrows in a hurricane well when, whenever it was well, she has you know obviously she has one of the better lines like in trying to insult uh you know angela but it's like yeah her she's just so mad about it she's just like why are you here like taking any attention away from these yeah so uh uh, we see uh, two of the guys that were making fun of Angela. They're uh, about to go on a canoe ride, and uh, one of them convinces a girl to go with them. Uh, they're out there. He's being an asshole, talking about snapping turtles and water snakes, and uh, purposely tumps the canoe over, which, uh, you know, great way to get a girl to like you. And she's obviously just like, well, fuck you. I'm swimming back to shore. I, I did not get this scene at all, because it seemed like this girl, like, 
was good to go, and he's just being a total dick the yeah. entire time. Like it's just like, are you what? Are you, what is your goal here? Are you trying to, you know, like get with this girl, or are you just going out here to be a total dick? And well, he's going out there to be a total dick, and you see where it gets him. Yeah. So, according to Cody, it's a dick in a mouth. Well, well I mean, I, that, I, frustrations that got to get out somehow. Yeah. So we see this girl swim back to shore, and we assume that this kid does too. But then for some reason, he swims underneath the, you know, overturned canoe and starts like asking if she's there or she's close, even though he just saw her swimming to the fucking shore. And okay, it's nighttime. It's a canoe turned upside down or wire. How the fuck can we see his face? How's I, I know that's being picky, but it should be pitch black in there, right? Also, what's this like thing? Uh, there's a water snake over there. Is that some inside joke in the '80s that I'm not aware of? Because they were all laughing so hard about those. What my water snake over there? Huh? Like, is that? Uh, is that I know like, that there's water moccasins because I've been in the Bicentennial Park Creek long <laughs> enough to know <laughs> yep. that you don't fuck with those things. Yeah, yes, um, and so I'm deathly afraid of water snakes. I'm deathly afraid of any fucking snake. Fuck them. Where they're real, if if whether they're real water moccasins or if they're Ronnie's penis in in the water. Water snakes scare me. <laughs> now, Ronnie's <laughs> penis was not in the water. Would you be scared? <sighs> I don't know. <laughs> we'll come back to this. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So, uh, let's see. <laughs> okay, so uh, more shit. Uh a lot of this movie is just scene after scene of Angela being picked on. Um, it just basically sets up the death scenes. Like yeah. from here on out, it's like scene after scene of like someone picking on, on one of the kids, whether it's Angela or Ricky or something. And then they get killed like in the next scene. Yeah. Uh, one of my favorite, like, you know, little bits of this is uh, they're back in the girl's bunk and Judy's coming out of the shower and she starts, you know, giving her shit again. Because uh, she had just got Meg in trouble because uh, Meg's being a psycho, um, and she's like, "Oh, why doesn't she shower with us?" And she like, you know, basically accuses her of being a lesbian because she doesn't shower with the other girls. Which I don't really follow that logic, but mm-hmm. uh, a is the eighties, and then she has the great lie. I think Cody referred to it. Uh, she's a real carpenter's dream. Flies aboard and needs a screw. <laughs> like what the fuck dude even the i imagine is so dramatic like the framing is so dramatic it's like the two of them and the wrecked focus and it's her and she says just drops this line on her you know <laughs> boom there's this one scene like a little bit later on and and my wife uh jamie she had a good uh point about it because all the other kills are there's like I guess there's reasons behind it. You could say that like they're getting revenge on these people for just being this bad people, whether they're bullying or doing something else. But there's the one scene with the one counselor that takes the kids out into the woods to go on like a, like, yeah. a, like camping. And I guess a couple of the kids can't sleep or something. So he's like, all right, I'll take you to the, uh, I'll take you to the car and you can sleep in there. And then they, like they, all the other kids get like stabbed or bludgeoned to death. Like what was up with that? So, um, do we have a motive there? No, no. It's just no, a death scene. I, no, it's compliance. It's a, it's a, it's a message about like silence is complicity. Like all those kids stood by, laughed at them. You know, but like these they are were there. Little kids. These are like yeah. the youngest kids they, at camp. Well, well, to go to that point when uh, 
Meg and Judy throw Angela in the water. You know, Ricky goes down there and is helping her out of the water. And as they're walking by the shoreline, the like, younger kids are throwing sand at her. Yep, it's like, yep. even the little kids are being little shit. So um, I guess they... And Ricky gets so mad. He's like, fuck. Dude, nobody has ever been madder than the water balloon moment. Like, he's just like, shit, I'll, I'll kill your cock. Okay, so like, he says, I'll kill through your cock. I swear to God he says it. Let's go to that water balloon fight. It's a war, so you have like seven, eight guys on top of a roof, on a fucking a roof, full of water balloons between them, and they're having a water balloon fight on top of a fucking roof. Oh my god! While extreme water balloons. This is I can't imagine how dangerous that is. Why? I mean, why were is stupid and dangerous? Who does that? Has that ever, has there ever been a water balloon fight on a roof? There's like eight dudes in a ten foot radius too. Like how does they're all point blank. not land? <laughs> yeah, they're literally just bouncing off of each other's the sheer liability. Six feet away. The sheer liability of the kids just being on the roof, let alone this particular thing. I saw another bit of trivia that the first time they shot that, it was actually raining outside, and the footage was shit, so they had to do it twice. Now that's like got to be the worst. You're like, I got to get back on that roof and do what? Well, I mean, <laughs> after you like risk your life being on a metal wet roof, like throw a water balloon, so you got to get back hey, up and there. They, whoever threw the water balloon at Angela hit her right in the fupa, dude, right in the <laughs> fupa, and knocked her ass to the ground too. Just like, wow! I mean, that's like, dude, that's hard to do like that with a water balloon. Well, and you know, Bell's talking about how he's going to be financially ruined. It's like, motherfucker. You probably are going to be financially ruined anyways, because some of these kids are definitely going to get hurt and their parents are going to sue you because your staff and yourself are so goddamn negligent as far as keeping an eye on these kids. But I mean, he says like when, so Angela gets pegged with the water balloon, Ricky sees it, gets pissed, goes into some primo like rage meltdown and uh, Mel comes over and calls everyone down and uh, he actually says, you realize how dangerous those things are. You could have taken her eye out. It's a fucking water balloon. Has a water balloon ever gouged out someone's eye? The answer is no, it hasn't. And they're yeah. not dangerous. I mean, unless it's like Nolan Ryan threw a fucking yeah. water balloon in your eye eye hole, you know. Like. Well, he's more concerned about how dangerous it is to throw a water balloon at someone, other than the fact that there are ten people on a roof having a water balloon fight. <laughs> like, get your priorities straight, man. Uh so I just saw that uh Ronnie was in a track suit, so he's he he in one scene he's not wearing shorts. Holy cow! Ah, yep. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It must have been cold that night. Well, they 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 needed that R rating, so if if he yeah. was in like some more like scrotum showing shorts, they were going to get NC seventeen. Mm, so, mm, mm, mm. Uh, so yeah. Uh, after this, um, obviously someone's going to get killed because you know they just fucked with Angela. At this point, we still don't know who the killer is, uh, but bunch of the boys that were doing the war balloon fire are going to go play softball. But Billy, uh, who already had a uh, run in with Ricky during the softball game, uh, says he has to take a wicked dump. So everyone goes play softball and he goes to, you know, do number two uh, while in the bathroom. One of uh, the more uh, creative scenes, uh, someone tosses in a beehive into the bathroom and like really agitates it. And they had already uh, put a rod through the door of the toilet stall so he couldn't get out and he is uh, killed by bees which is I'll, I'll be 
brave enough to say it, it's silly. That's the lamest kill. Okay. <laughs> well, he got he got Macaulay Culkin. <laughs> he got Michael. Oh, oh hard. I was about to say that. I, I, I swear <laughs> to God, the broomstick is like cracking. I'm like, my guy, you can't crawl under the stall. Is it all my the way guy. to the ground? Is it all the way to the ground? What the fuck? I mean, but dude, but that shot though of his like face or head covered in bees is kind of kind of kind of gnarly. Like it was kind of like, whoa. Not the bees. Yeah, they uh, had a uh, fake head, obviously, and they smeared it with honey and sugar, and uh, that's the way they got all the bees on the face like that. So, yeah. yeah. Interesting stuff, I know. Uh, so, uh, yep, so we got the bee kill. Uh, at this point, uh, Mel is really starting to lose it. He, uh, Him and Ronnie are talking. He acts like he knows who is doing it. Says he's seen the hate in his eyes and he's going to stop him. Ronnie's just like, dude, you are fucking crazy. Knock it off. Uh, (laughs) Someone, I mean, really, I don't think uh, Mel should be running this place anymore. He's, uh, it's clear that he doesn't, he's not the best decision maker. No, Um, no. He should have stepped down and had Ronnie like take his place. You know, I think if Ronnie was running the show, now this would have happened. I think You're Ronnie right. uh, runs a pretty tight ship. Also, and, there would have been some like counseling or like therapy session. Angela would have had all her issues taken care of. Like, yeah, it would have been. Well, I mean, he would definitely be like the poster boy for the camp with his uh, package right there. He couldn't have done a worse job. Let's just say that. No, no, no. <laughs> Jesus. Uh, so, uh, now we have another scene with Angela and Paul, uh, going off to the beach, trying, you know, Paul's trying to get his groove on and, uh, Angela's not having it. And we have a flashback of her and her brother when they were little, uh, looking at their father and his lover, uh, doing their thing and, um, they're giggling and whatnot. And then they go to a scene where, you know, the camera's rotating around the bed. The brother and sister are staring at each other and their faces are kind of switching back and forth. Uh, a little heavy handed foreshadowing. And um, when he's whatnot. pointing at her chin, that's crazy. That's like that. That shot is epic. Yeah. He's it's just pointing at her chin. I think it's just a really clumsy way for them to try and be profound and whatnot. And yeah. uh, at that point, that kind of sets up what we all know happens at the end. But uh, she's thinking about that. And it's like, can't handle it so she uh you know pushes paul aside and runs away and paul is left with blue balls yet again i have a quick aside here i i I just realized something in the beginning when you know during this flashback it shows the 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 father and his i guess uh, boyfriend or partner in bed and the kids are giggling at him in the beginning of the movie the partner is standing on the dock and he says we got to go see the doctor yeah. So is that is that the ant? Dude, no, uh, that's I don't know if that's the ant or if that's like there's so much there. Like it could be a thing to say there like oh, an the, exchange. Or it could be like it could be an AIDS epidemic like homage of just like of the slightest little proportion, you know, like I I, I know it's it's a lot of mental gymnastics to get there. But uh <laughs> yeah, but so but anyway. Clearly, you didn't listen to our history of Crowley earlier. <laughs> we are limber as fuck when it comes to that. We are sorry like about that aside, but I, old Ukrainian. I just realized that he's like he said we got to go see the doctor, 
at whatever it's time to go see the doctor. It's like, oh, well, shit. Kind of frustrating listening to the commentaries on these movies. Is the director, I'd, he's either being very uh, coy with like some of the backstory, or I don't think he really, really even had any because, uh, like, he is refer- like, you know, deferring to Felissa Roselot as far as, you know, Angela's backstory and whatnot. And she's like, yeah, I kind of came up with it myself. And uh, so I think there's lots of stuff in this movie that there's legit no explanation for it. It's just in there. And, you know, each person can fill in the background details. You're saying it's up to us. Damn it. Blood sucking. I've just to fill in the backstory. I was going to say we've added ourselves like uh, psychologically, whatever we analyze this. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I think then that Mel is running this camp because he has some sort of like, um, I guess, uh, service he has to pay back to the city or something like that. Like he's, uh, it does feel mandated. It does his, his presence and his success feels very mandated. Like he's like, if this doesn't happen, like, a, the mob is coming to get Community me, and the, the judge is going to throw me in the clink. You know, so like. maybe, the only thing that could have made this better is like, that they made like um, a mashup between this and like Ernest goes to camp, and you have <laughs> Ernest as one of the like the the camp janitor, and he's just around, and you have all this murder going on, but he's just unaware the entire time. He's just <laughs> hanging out, just having fun with the kids, and there's this crazed murderer going on. He has just no idea. Oh, R.I.P. That was, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god, that would. Uh, okay, Corey, take us home, buddy. Okay, so uh, things are really starting to heat up. Uh, Meg gets the night off. Uh, she um, makes a date with Mel again. I don't see what's oh, happening so here. I don't really want to know. Uh, he doesn't seem to be doing that great. So usually, you know, the first thing you think is, you know, uh, maybe she's a gold digger or something because, you know, she's a teenage girl hitting on this. I'll, I'll say it. He's a nasty, old, craggy old man. that reeks of cigar smoke and probably like sardines. <laughs> My lantern and sardines. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so um, she uh, is getting ready for a big date and then... Uh, she goes into one of the empty bunk rooms because there's a long line for the shower. And that's when someone comes in and through just an amazing feat of strength or shoddy workmanship for the, whoever built the shower is able to plunge a knife through the wall of the shower into her back and then carve down her spine with little to no resistance. Can y'all give me any explanation of this? Uh, uh, thin walls, maybe like, I, I don't, I don't know, man. I mean, there's just no insulation. It's just the you know, it's, it's just the shell, just slink. I mean, it's like fucking butter goes through it. That knife was the knife that Mozart picked up earlier on, whenever he got picked on, and the camp oh, counselor yeah. took it away. Kinda. Yeah, we skipped that part. There's a scene where uh, they're pranking Mozart again. He gets pissed, so he pulls a goddamn knife on Ricky, and Ricky's like, ah, whatever. And he's just kind of having fun with it while Mozart's chasing around, brandishing this knife. Counselor comes in. It's like, what the fuck? Ricky- Let's take out all the murders from this movie. And this camp is still wildly dangerous. Oh my god! Like, I mean, it's just, it's just irresponsible how dangerous and and like crazy this camp is. I it mean, sounds awesome. You have, you know, the scene where Meg it's- loses <laughs> her temper with Angela and just like shakes her like a baby, and uh, that's that's wrong. 
Um, the water balloon fight upstairs on the roof. That's wrong. Uh, just the rampant pedophilia. Well, yes. Yeah. Yes. The yes. baseball, the baseball pedophilia game is wrong. Uh, the baseball game. Yeah. Just, it, I wouldn't send my kids there. It doesn't seem like a safe or happy place for sure. So, um, Meg gets killed with the knife through the back like that. Uh, this is when we see uh, what Chris was talking about. Uh, there's a little overnight camping trip, and uh, a couple of the kids get cold in the middle of the night, want to go home. So the guy with them is like, fine, go to the car. Again, horrible negligence just leaves three children by themselves in the woods. And guess what happens? He comes back, and they've been hacked and slashed to pieces by whoever the killer is. So, um, not really a great decision to leave the children alone. Uh, again, Paul runs into Angela. Now earlier he had been caught by Angela making out with Judy because, uh, of course, Judy just hates Angela and Paul is getting kind of pissed that Angela won't put out. So he makes out with Judy. Angela sees that he spends the rest of the movie trying to apologize. Uh, at this point, uh, Felissa Rose has one of the, I think her most iconic line is meet me at the waterfront after the social. And I know that's been on all the websites and stuff and she says it and whatnot. But, uh, when we see what happens, it makes sense. Uh, so yeah, the kids got killed that were camping. Uh, Mel is now pretty freaked out because he's looking for Meg because he thought he was going to get, you know, his pecker wet that night. Uh, and what I like is, and Joe Bob mentioned this, I'm not going to, but uh, for his big date, he's wearing lime green pants and a yellow windbreaker. I mean, yeah, come on. How can that, a girl <laughs> keep her pants on with that? That's a, that's the way to seal the deal. Yes, man. He's like the Tom. He's like, He's like the Tom Sidow of that camp. He's just oozing the sex appeal. <laughs> sure. Sure. Uh, something. We see uh, Judy making out with uh, a, some random dude, one of the bullies. <laughs> she asks him, why do you have to kiss so wet? Which is just... <laughs> <laughs> uh, Mel comes in. Uh, the boy hides. Then Mel leaves. Boy, he's like, yeah, I'm not really into this. I'm going to go skinny dip with my bros again. And uh, so Matt or Judy's all pissed off. That's when someone comes in. You see her uh, backlit from behind. And like I said, it's Ricky wearing a wig since uh, Felissa Rose's mom wouldn't let her be in any of these scenes. Uh, knocks Judy out. Then, you know, goes to town with her uh, using the curling iron. And she does the jazz hand shadows as she's getting, um, um, I don't know how to phrase that, but yeah, curling ironed. Uh, after that, um, Ricky or Mel finds uh, Meg's body in the shower. And that's when he really goes over the edge because, you know, he's about to hook up with this young girl. All his thoughts are confirmed that someone's out to get him and ruin his life. And he thinks it's Ricky. So Ricky is coming back from the cafeteria after grabbing a midnight snack. Mel grabs him. And I think this is one of the greatest beating scenes in film history because he just starts, you know, doing the back and forth slap, oh, give him the business, gave him the thrashing of a lifetime. <laughs> and then he does like, I can only describe it as like the way a gorilla does just both hands over hand, Hulk smashing this child 
on the ground, just beating him without mercy. And then realizes, holy fuck, I just beat this child without mercy. He's, he says, I need to get out of here because, hey, you're probably already liable for so many things that have happened at that camp as the owner. And now you just, you know, went gorilla on this small child and beat him senseless. Good. He beat him like Chop Top beat LG in Texas. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Oh, man. He kept going at him. Oh, yeah. At least he didn't have a hammer because. I was expecting yeah. I was expecting the fight club shot right after that. Like I wanted to destroy something beautiful and just Jared Leto is just a spitting teeth. You know, like it was like it was hard. Hard. Down. <laughs> Lots of things in this movie are hard. Uh so mm-hmm. it, oh I want to point this out. Um They're soft. Kind of medium. <laughs> like just... this is the uh great uh fake mustache scene. Uh oh yeah. Well, oh my god. <laughs> <laughs> this rivals the Henry Cavill mustache from Justice League. No one talks about the mustache anymore because of Henry Cavill stole the show. But before Henry Cavill showed up, there was this dude that Hollywood <laughs> always talked about. So he plays a cop that uh, earlier in the movie, he's talking to Ronnie and uh, Mel. And uh, after the kids drowned in the canoe and uh, he has, you know, a fine mustache, natural looking whatnot. And now in this scene, he basically has, I think even Crowley middle school drama department could come up with a better mustache than this shit. Sometimes, sometimes in life you get picture wrapped. And you leave, and you're like, "Cool, I can cut my hair or my or my whatever my thing was." So he left. He was picture wrapped. He shaved his mustache. They called him back. Wait, you have one more scene to shoot? Oh fuck! Or that's my <laughs> that's my that's my rendition of. I'm not sure if that's the truth, but I'm just saying like that that does happen. I've I've had mm-hmm. I've had worked on things where actors had haircuts, and then we had to bring them back, and we're like, "How the fuck are we going to shoot this?" He has a mohawk now, basically. <laughs> well, I mean, <laughs> that, the same thing happened. Uh, on in super troopers because they all have mustaches throughout that whole movie. And then, you know, they went back to reshoot some scenes and they have pretty horrible fake mustaches. So like Cody was saying, it's something that does happen. God, uh, there's nothing rivals this mustache though. Like, yeah, I, I mean, it's, it's, it's like, so it's distracting. I'm like, it took me out of the movie for a second. I was like, Oh man, like what? <laughs> I literally shot up in bed. I was like, "What the fuck?" It looks is like fucking face? gaff tape, though, on the reel. It looks like straight up some like like black gaff tape. Someone was just like, "Rip, rip!" Here, put this or on like your cheek, dog. Like black grease paint. Yeah, it's like something you buy at Magic, etc. And you get like a spirit gum. You just do it yourself for your like for your like you know your Beastie Boys like uh, sabotage video you're doing or whatever. <laughs> it's like a straight up Groucho Marx mustache. Yeah, 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 exactly. So. uh that which just is one of the highlights of the movie for me. Um, so at this point, um, the counselor that you know basically left all the children to their death at the camp out calls Ronnie. He's like, "Yeah, this shit's going down." Ronnie's like, "Okay, we need to get a hold of this. Too many people have died. They're they're pushing double digits at this point, and they finally then decide to uh, get a hold of things. So um, all the counselors are out looking for the missing children." Uh, Angela and Paul, uh, have Angela's invited him down to the waterfront to go skinny dipping. And Paul is all for it because I mean, the entire movie, he's been trying to get into Angela's pants and she's been like, Oh no, I'm not into it. And now she's like, Oh, all right, let's do it. 
So now we uh, have uh, Ronnie and one of the other camp counselors kind of looking for everyone. They stumble upon Angela and she's sitting there. We see her from behind. Uh, it looks like Paul is laying down on the ground with his head in her lap, stroking his hair. And that's when we have our flashback to Aunt Martha and Angela when Angela first arrived. Uh, someone want to talk about this scene? <laughs> uh, how to put it? How to put it? This is the big reveal, as, as they would call it, or the reveal. And we, we learn who the killer is while simultaneously learning what the killer is. Exactly. So we never really had it spelled out to us before, especially the first of the movie. Two children, their father, bow accident, two of the people die, the father and one of the children. We assume it was the brother and the father because Angela is the one that survives. But what we are now shown is that, in fact, it was the brother that survived and crazy Aunt Martha, since she already had Ricky, decided that, we, well, I can't have two boys. I want a girl. So she raised up the brother to be a girl who is Angela, who clearly has lots of um, issues, some trauma she needs to work through. And, a little bit. Yeah. And then we find, we go back to, uh, you know, back to the camp. And that's when we have, you know, the iconic shot of the movie. Uh, Angela stands up holding... Paul's severed head and a knife and just the, and a full Vienna sausage uh, right between her legs. That might be being generous because <laughs> I, I thing, think they had a specific light for it that they had to like bring out the little tweenie. It's, it's what we call it on set. It's a tweenie and you just shine it. And, uh, and they, that's what they shined it on right on the, the junk. Yeah. So Angela gives this like screaming face with her eyes looking off to the side, uh, if you ever have seen anything about Sleepaway Camp, you know what I'm talking about. Um, obviously, since it's a 13-year-old girl, they can't show her fully nude. So they had a uh, student. Even in the 80s. Yeah, even in the 80s, there were some <laughs> rules. Uh, they had some random college guy from Albany State. Uh, no one knows who it is now. Uh, lost to history. Look, if this were me, I would not. I would. That's a secret I'm taking to my like, grave. So he was probably like, drinking some like Genesee Light or something, or some like Northern beer because they were shooting in upstate New York. So he just like pounding, He's just pounding the Jennies, just like, uh, just give me a minute. Like, yeah, so, so he was uh, drunk as shit. He had to, you know, stand there in front of God and everyone, butt ass naked, wearing a plaster Angela mask. So it kind of goes back and forth from like a really tight close up on Felissa Rose's face to the wide shot of, you know, this naked uh, boy with a mangled dick because there's something going on with it. Uh, I mean, how much full frontal, how many full frontal male nudity was there in any horror movies before this, besides like the occasional like skinny dipping scene or whatever in, in, you know, in Friday 13th or, uh, or, or an earlier horror that I'm not. Well, I think with. in uh, lots of like uh, the foreign horror, like especially Italy oh, yeah. and shit yeah. like that, uh, quite a bit, but, but uh, that mainstream contemporary stuff that, you know, that we all know. See, yeah. it's funny because of fake penises on, on, on film. Cause what they do nowadays is sometimes they don't show the actor's actual dick. They make a prosthetic and they put, have the actor put it on. And the reason I know this 
difference it's because Boogie of Nights. exactly what because movies have you been film, doing <laughs> there's a film called midgets versus mascots i i urge everyone out there to, to seek it out and it has the late gary coleman in it and they were asked so in the movie gary coleman shows his junk and they were asked to make a gary coleman penis but they made a prosthetics penis that was super small okay <laughs> he wore it right and tmz got a hold of this like footage or shot of it and he they were like that's his real dick but it's not it's like this you know what it's, the fuck it, yes it's a it, this is a real story that like is lore around like dallas film and also this movie midgets versus mascots of course we'd like to call them little people you know or, or whatever I'm, I'm sorry if that's like the if i'm i just got us canceled uh basically but uh but no like, i don't know what's all our corporate yeah. sponsors the terminology is, but it's like, you know, they, it's like, it's a movie and it happened. So like they could have easily just done a prosthetic penis on maybe possibly Angela or a body double that was female, you know, like, but I guess they, there wasn't a reason to have the, you know, both sets of genitalia or whatever, but it was, yeah, it was definitely, uh, uh, it was, it's definitely a feat of filmmaking. I mean, yeah. Uh, and, I think this is a seminal moment in filmmaking. Oh yeah, like, in American yeah, you got movie making. Seminal part, right? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I mean, this movie for me is really not you know scary by any means, but I think the image, like it's creepy enough the way Felissa Rose has that face, but it, just the mask on the person. Is so there's something so off about it that it's it just so really unsettling. creeps me the fuck out. Yeah, it's yeah, so unsettling. Yeah. So I watched I watched I watched the hunt yesterday, Babysitters Club four episodes, and then this movie. Okay, so, <laughs> I was like, the fucking new Babysitters Club before I saw this. So that's a lot of different imagery going on to like get to that climax. But yes, like it's yeah it, climax. It's it, it, it's impossible. Mm. It's impossibly unsettling. Like I went to bed with that image in my head, just being like, fuck really? Like that's the thing. And I love the way that Felissa Rose, that's her name, right? That's how you say yeah. it. Yep. I, I love how she's embraced Felissa. it. And she's like a fucking huge hitter in, in horror, dude. She like was a associate producer on the Krampus, like, which, you know, like, she, but uh, I love that. Movie. On, I mean, and not to mention like several other films and film franchises she's produced, acted, and like I believe directed and stuff. But and she's at every horror convention too. That's yeah, so she cool. is totally embraced yeah. this, and yeah, that's what she does when she poses with fans. She still does the face. Holy like, shit! When, really, you know, dude? Yeah. yeah, yeah. Oh yeah. Hey, well that's yeah, there you go, guys. Y'all crazy. Should, you should you should hire <laughs> Felissa Rose for your film uh, to, either pro- to produce or, or act in it. Come on, she's out there. She was actually at Frightmare last year, but I didn't I didn't get a chance to meet her. She was I mean, I saw her roaming around and stuff like that, and I had something for her to sign. I just didn't get a chance. To I do have it. the most inappropriate question for her. And I wonder over the years how many males approached her and were like, So what's up? But they were like males of the persuasion that are attracted to trans people. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> right. Like I mean, I used to think the same thing about the the lady from uh, what was her name? Sean Young from Ace yes. Ventura. I was like, oh, dude, I, bet I used to think the exact it exactly this crying game. All those movies, like some people don't yeah. know that's not real, and they're like, wait, what? She's also, in the original Blade Runner, yes, she is. But she, I mean, it sucks. Her career, like, kind of like didn't pop off for a while after that. Same thing with the guy who played Buffalo Bill. You know, you play a character like that, 
and you don't like maybe it's a little hard to come back from such a wild uh casting yeah. so um should we give our final ratings for this guys uh yeah uh, Robert, what would you, uh, on our, our scale of, of one to five, and I think we're, this week we're doing one, uh, one to five mangled Mangle dicks. dicks. <laughs> How many mangled dicks would you give uh, Sleepaway Camp? I'm going to give it three. Okay. Um, only, I think only because like it's not one I went back and watched after watching it multiple times because when I originally saw this about 20 years ago i was like i'm not watching this again I, what what just happened like i never watched the sequels because of that mm-hmm. so like uh i mean yeah i'm gonna give it three just for the fact that it, I, it, it's not something i'm gonna watch over and That's over fair. there were some things in it that, yeah there's some things that were cool but if i had a, a like a younger cousin that was like that was like, oh, he's like a millennial. You know, he's a millennial. He hasn't seen he, the horror to him is like Blah, Blumhouse, uh, baby dolls. You know, haunt the house type of movies. He doesn't know classic horror, right? So, like, if this, if I, there was a three pack of movies, I would probably throw this movie in there and be like, watch yourself. Nice. <laughs> what would you give it? Oh, uh, Cody, it's going five out of five mangled dicks. I'm out of five. Because this is the if you if you I I'm, I guarantee the other movies are like have a lot better kills and a lot more like suggestive uh like thematic elements because this is kind of like the the Friday the Thirteenth Part One of this franchise you know mm-hmm. if you see it because you don't ever see the monster it's like it shows the backstory it was the mom it was the aunt you know there's like a lot of parallels to uh to Jason Voorhees to me in the in the way that they presented the the story. Uh, right, and so and you're just getting to see a different aspect of the camp as opposed to the camp counselors trying to get down, you know. Nice. Um, I'd say uh, I, I think I'm going to give this four out of five mangled dicks because uh, it does have a, a, I it has a lot of nostalgia for me because of what I said earlier. Like this is Corey and I watch this together, and every time I think of it, I I just crack up laughing at that end scene. It's just so iconic for me. I think it's one of the most iconic scenes and shots and horror like history um and so i think it, it does have a a strong place in like horror uh cinema and so i'm going to give it four out of five the only thing i wish that would have happened is we would have saw maybe a, a shot of judy's uh boobs that that probably would have uh pushed it over the edge for me <laughs> and Corey, i know your audio is cutting in and out can we are, can you hear anything, Corey? He gave his synopsis at the same time as you, but uh, but okay. So I don't know. They were both obviously in, individually recorded, but yeah, it's, it was kind of it oh, was so we were talking over each other. <laughs> no, you were just it was both in my ears. <laughs> I mean, weird because I can't hear them on my end. And oh um, yeah, I can't either. His name's not highlighted on my screen weird. anymore yeah. either. Slut. Yeah, that's weird. Uh, <laughs> so we'll give it a. Let me see. He's going to try to reconnect. So we'll give it a minute or two, let him see if he can reconnect. Um, he said he can hear Cody, but no one else. That's really weird. Um, no. Um, okay. So, well, we're super close to the end. I guess we have one more rating and then the outro, I guess. Yeah, that's just, uh, we just need Corey's rating. And then the um, so Chris, I can hear Corey, but he can't hear y'all. But he can hear me. 
check that out. Oh, he worked. So he, he's out. He's no longer. No, he's coming back. Okay. Hmm. It's so weird how the uh, all the sh- all the sleepaway camps got brought brought back to uh, Shutter like this week when we decided we were going to do this, dude. Yeah, there was. Oh, it was something interesting about the like I was seeing advertisements for it on my like on the Roku they do like a little thing where they show the film like on the right side when you're scrolling mm-hmm. and it was on there and I was like damn it I was like I didn't say that out loud it's just that's the 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 kind of uh, sway the BSG has <laughs> BSG is already with no really episode yeah no kidding oh <sighs> Come on, Corey. <laughs> um, what about what what movie? Uh, while we're waiting, like, what movie would you guys like to watch next? It doesn't. As long as it's streaming somewhere, or if I don't own it, it does. It really doesn't matter to me. Is there something that you personally would like? Would like to? Um, like you're you're passionate about that you'd like to. Obviously, like Halloween at some point, right? Right. I, I don't think we should do the first one, though. I think we should do. That's it. what I was saying. Like those are just two like the one with LL Cool J in it. Yeah, <laughs> that's uh, that's that's definitely one of them. <laughs> that's the first one. I, that's, the first, that's, the, <laughs> that's the first one I saw in theaters. Actually, uh, that would be a fun one to do. Look, me, I, uh, you know, it's fun to do the bad ones to me. Um, just because there's a lot more uh, humor and comedy that we can get out of it. And I love that because I like to take a movie that people hate and like find out why I like it and be like, I love it because of this. And they're just like, yep. that's the worst one. <laughs> yeah. And what are we going to say about Halloween that hasn't like already been done? Right. You know? That's what I'm yeah, That's what I was thinking. Like we can't just do Halloween. It's been done over and over and over. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I agree. So something like the, um, uh, it would be fun, like eventually, to start doing some like just new indie movies that come out, um, and yeah. just kind of, you know, maybe if once we have an audience to do some of that, and then maybe we can try to like throw some viewers their way or something. That'd be kind of neat. Yeah. Don't jump, Max. Wait, 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 wait. Let me. Put you off. Oh, oh, oh. Waiting for microphone <laughs> access from Corey. Well, I, I'm waiting for this movie called Undying to, to come out to drop, and then we have to do that one. That's it's a zombie film that I worked on. That, oh, that would be cool. Yeah, uh, yeah. it's dude. <laughs> oh, it's hilarious. It's going to be great. Like I said, it's like my boyfriend's back and the crow put together. It's, it's, it's... It says recording in progress. Corey, are you there? Okay, Hell sweet. Yeah, sweet. We're back. That's all right. That's all right. Um. We each gave our uh, rating. So, Corey, over to you. What would you give Sleepaway Camp? Okay, I'm going to. I want to make clear. I love this movie. Uh, it's fantastic. Uh, I can't give it uh, the full five mingled dicks. Um, I yep. take off points because of uh, the overemphasis on the male nudity without any compensating female nudity. So I got to ding it for that one. Ding Uh, it. You know what I mean. Uh, The gore, I feel, leaves a little to be desired. Um, 
not really much in that way. I think other than uh, Artie and the burn, and that's pretty uh, gnarly, the B scene a little bit, and then, you know, the aftermath of uh, Meg getting carved up. Uh, just not really anything special. Um, I think the ending of this movie is really what uh, saves it. Um, it's a great movie, but I'm going to have to give it uh, three and a half mingled dicks just for the reasons I said. Uh, but I do love this movie. It's just, um, I think if you take away that shock ending, we don't think of this movie the same way. I think it's just kind of a generic run of the mill yeah. uh, movie like this. Uh, so it definitely, uh, the strength of the movie is the ending and uh, Felissa Rose, but um, I thoroughly enjoyed it. Um, I look forward to look watching uh, the rest of the series uh, eventually. And um, I, I had a lot of fun with this one. Yeah, I mean, I think you said it best, Corey. Uh, it was a lot of fun. Um, looking forward to maybe one of these days we'll get into um, the last uh, the last sleepaway camp they did. I don't know if that was the final uh, one in the series, but the one that um, the actual original director did that would be fun. yeah, Return to Sleepaway Camp. Yeah, that would be a fun one to do um, after after a while. But um, I, I think I we'll like be on that as some... a companion episode. I like that idea a lot. We'll definitely come back to Sleepaway Camp, and maybe by then we'll actually have a uh, screenplay of our Ernest Goes to Sleepaway Camp. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> no, it's a Ladycock, uh, uh, like, um, <laughs> uh, uh, fan fiction, you know. And But I'm telling you, if someone combined those two ideas today, they could make a fucking A-right piece <laughs> and have some great deaths of the, at the hands of a, of a phallus. Uh, a giant <laughs> malice, phallus with the malice. Something there's got to be something in there. Come on, like good tagline. Yes. <laughs> All right. I think that's going to do it for us for this uh, week's episode. Um, I'm not sure what we're going to do next episode, but um, I'm looking forward to it, guys. Uh, and then uh, who knows what's going to go on from there. So yeah, I think we're going to be doing these like every two weeks. We're still working through our website. Um, hopefully by you, the time you're listening to this, we'll have all that set up. So we're just kind of banking episodes right now. Um, but, uh, everything's we're, we're, you know, things are progressing. We've got the website up and running technically. We're just waiting for kind of like the logo and some of the bells and whistle type things, uh, to be completed. And then that way we can actually start pushing out the podcast on a regular basis. So, uh, super excited about this guys. I had a lot of fun again today. Uh, it was great to go back after all these years and, and go back and, and watch Sleepaway Camp again. Yeah, no, it was a fun movie. Uh, I think we all learned something today. Uh, I'm not sure what, but <laughs> something, whether it be history or biology or uh, just a little bit of who you are inside and why you shouldn't send your children to Sleepaway Camp. I'm going to try to find that pot of uh, that, that uh, Artie had uh, because that <laughs> I can cook so much stuff. Oh, hold on. So that thing exists somewhere. You could buy it. Like it's, it's gotta be a prop. Someone has it. Yeah, I, uh, it's probably, you can probably get them at TJ Maxx. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. All right, guys, that's gonna do it. But yeah, Joe. Yeah. Right. Uh, everyone follow us though on uh, social media though, on, uh, on Instagram and Facebook and Twitter. We all have, we have pages on, uh, all of those gives a follow on there and we'll start producing content. That's right. And, on uh, and let us know if those, there's any movies you, know. you want us to do. Uh, 
we got lots of ideas, but uh, we want to see what you guys think too. That's right. Our website, yeah. it's uh, www.bloodsuckinggeeks.com. I think uh, Twitter and Instagram is uh, at bloodsuckinggeeks, and Twitter is at, I think, bloody geeks or something like that. Like, we couldn't fit all the bloodsucking geeks into that. It wouldn't let us. So, I guess Other Twitter parts. has standards um, where everyone else does. We know. Yep. No, no standards here. Um, no. So, yeah, we're going to be producing like, uh, you know, content throughout the week. So it's not just going to be the podcast. Uh, we're also going to have like articles and stuff going on on our website. So movie reviews, that sort of thing. So uh, we're still trying to work through that, but let us know what you'd want. Um, you know, in addition to letting us know what movies you want us to review, uh, let us know what kind of content you'd like us to produce, like in between episodes on our website too. Yes, because we don't want to think we're the only weirdos out there uh, watching the shit we watch and <laughs> thinking the shit we think. Exactly. So that's going to do it. We'll be back next episode. Take See it easy. See you then. Dear Mom and Dad, I've been at a sleepaway camp for almost three weeks. And I'm getting very scared. Welcome to sleepaway camp. Someone is watching you. Someone is waiting for you. Someone wants to scare you to death. Turn it! Turn the wheel! Oh my god! Sleepaway camp. You won't be coming home. Thank you.